Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Elections matter. When you win an election, you get to set the rules. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what thing. I'm scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. So, again, as a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, I will tell you that we should believe exactly what the intelligence community has told us which is Russia did interfere in the election of the president of the United States in 2016. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. The president says he thinks it's a witch hunt. No, I don't think so. I don't see it as a witch hunt. Mueller and his team are doing their jobs and justice is being done. Make no mistake about it, they made a direct attack against our democracy through cyber attacks and the use of information operations warfare. Oh, I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy in plain sight. I uh, will do everything I can to ensure that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the open. About pardons, you revealed this week that multiple Republican members of Congress sought pardon pardons from President Trump after the insurrection. How many of your colleagues in Congress did that? And what evidence do you have? Because you know that Congressman Scott Perry is denying it. Yeah. Well, the seeking of pardons is powerful demonstration of the consciousness of guilt, or at least the consciousness that you may be in trouble. And that's what's so shocking about this. Uh, it's not just one. And it, you have evidence that this happened. It, it is multiple members of Congress, as the vice chair said at our opening hearing. And... Um, all in due course, uh, the details will surface. So, so guess there's evidence? Um, but we're, everything we're doing is documented by evidence. Uh, unlike the big lie, which is based on nonsense, as uh, former Attorney General Barr said, everything that we're doing is based on facts, and this is a bipartisan investigation which is determined to ferret out all of the facts of what happened. Now is New York Congressman Jamal Bowman and Daryl Lamont Jenkins. He's executive director of One People's Project, an organization that monitors alleged racist and far right groups and individuals. Congressman, I do want to start with you. Uh, I want to make it plain for the American people as best as possible, because a lot of people are apathetic and not necessarily tuned in. I want you to explain, should the GOP retake Congress in the fall? What happens to the January 6th committee investigation and its findings? And what might the GOP do or not do with their newly claimed power? So the January 6th uh, commission would cease to exist. 
uh, the findings will be completely suppressed and will not be admitted into any further uh, investigations while the GOP uh, will be in power. Uh, they would, um, they would um, impeach President Biden um, as quickly as possible, and they will continue to, continue to find ways uh, to impeach him going forward. It would also embolden uh, Republicans and the far right and white nationalists across the country to begin to believe that it is their time to not just take power in the House, but the Senate, the White House, and state houses across the country. And we got to understand that this is a group that has been radicalized by the great replacement myth and many other things and have been pushing for violence and pushing for even civil war. So that is what's at stake right now in terms of this election. Our democracy is hanging by a thread and black and brown people, our lives are in the balance if these people come back into power. How are they doing prosecuting the case? Well, I'm not too sure because I'm not too sure what the case is so far. I mean, this you can say this is laying foundation for what they said they would be proving, which is an attempted coup. That's a tall order. Uh, but so far, they seem to be trying to sort of create a persona non grata trial to declare President Trump uh, a horrible person. And they may not get much pushback by the end of the hearing. But I thought the most telling moment came at the end when the chairman said, um, I'm going to introduce this video unless there's an objection. And that sort of really put a pin on it. It was like it's like asking at a wedding, anyone who objects to this union, speak up. Nobody is really there to do it. And, you know, this is not the committee that you're going to have, you know, suddenly Liz Cheney say, wait, th this seems unfair. Maybe we need to to look at other evidence that has to be introduced as well. So it really brought a sort of um, an odd conclusion because it sort of emphasized there isn't anyone to object. Same question to Andy McCarthy. Well, it was a much tighter presentation today because it was centered around one theme, this whole idea of stop the steal. Uh, and what they're trying to emphasize, obviously, is that uh, I, the point they want to make is that Trump must have known that there was nothing to this because everybody around him who was credible tell, was telling him it was nonsense and there was nothing there. As I've said from the beginning, they've got a very good story to tell. The problem is they've set it up in a, in, a, in a process that is not a fair process that's aimed at getting to the truth and giving whatever contra arguments there are their day in court. And as a result, it's more like messaging than it is like a real investigation. And if you had tried this in court, you know, I, I could have been very impressive in court if there were no defense lawyers, you know, if you let, <laughs> the, really good. If you let the government put on its own case, own witnesses, um, own exhibits, and then no cross-examination and no defense arguments. I, I'd have been a thousand and oh. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast, episode 605. It is the 15th of June, year of our Lord, 2022. Had a better couple days. Yesterday sucked. Introduced a new food. Did not like it. So I did not eat dinner. And I slept for eight hours. And then I took a two-mile walk. And I feel much better. That's a good intro right there. I, uh, You know, it, it's so hard coming into these shows wanting to just uh, scream about how bad everything is. I mean, everything is just so bad 
and the media spinning so much, just so much spin. So I decided to just go ahead and start and go, that is this week, them occupying the street, that looks insurrection-y, two women being pretty insurrection-y, Russia collusion, that's kind of insurrection-y, Raskin, he's never certified a Republican president, Civil War dude, and then a Trumper person mocking it, because this January 6th, um, listen, if they had proof that Trump was linked to this or GOP was linked to it, they'd be in jail. You've arrested 600 motherfuckers, so let's be honest. If you had it, you had it. This is nothing but their opportunity to change the narrative and try to link everybody to January 6th so you won't vote for them because they think you're stupid and you don't notice that gas is over $4 a gallon, that food is outrageously expensive, that everything sucks because you're an idiot. They think you'll fall for this. Even though we all know it ain't working, it just... I mean, here's Rasmussen. Let me, um, I just grabbed this picture. Let me bring it into the fold. This, this is, the beans and bullets, folks. This, this is what it's about. Nobody fucking cares about January 6th. It doesn't matter what you say. Look at that. Inflation, election integrity, because now both sides don't trust elections. Violent crime, rising gas prices, illegal immigration, school issues. Folks, if you break it down, the left is wrong on every one of those. Every single one. They've told you there is no inflation. They've told you that this was the most secure election, even though he got 81 million votes and nobody could figure out, even lefties, that he got it. And if he was that good, why do they not want him to run again? Oh, we're going to get to that, too. Violent crime. Rural crime is up 25%. Saw that this week. That's just fucking crazy. Gas prices. Already spoke about it. Illegal immigration. We're on pace to 3 million that we know of. 3 million this year. And we talk about schools all the time because they're trying to wokeify everything. But the media in concert, just like they did for for fucking Russia collusion, just like they did, you know, I nailed Dan Rather this week who was talking about there was an arrest of some guys who were thinking about protesting. So they protest. It was like Minority Report. They pro they arrested them before they could protest. And it looks so staged. I'm not covering it because I don't know all the particulars, but it just looks staged. Another FBI bullshit because, once again, we're not going to talk about the left who wanted to kill Kavanaugh because we're still trying to drum up that it's white supremacists doing all the violence, even though they can't prove it. But this was a supposed, supposed white supremacist group in Idaho, Northern Front or some shit. So we arrested him before we arrested him. But we are trying so hard to stay on it that your first one, I just got this morning. 
It's our media jerk-off, January 6th, but we're going to start with the CBS that is just shocking. They're still trying this rising tide of white supremacist violence with no proof thingy. My the media jerk-off of the week. Speaking of being held accountable to your actions, now to an urgent story about the rising threat of political violence. Just yesterday, we heard testimony on Capitol Hill from an official who received death threats against his children from angry Trump supporters. Today also marks five years since a gunman opened fire on members of Congress and staff on a baseball field. Republican Congressman Steve Scalise was seriously wounded. CBS News has learned Capitol Hill police investigated nearly 10,000 threats in just the past year. Scott McFarland shows us how America's increasingly toxic, toxic politics are also becoming more dangerous. This man with zero history of political activism or protest is part of a fast-growing wave of threats under investigation by federal authorities that has only increased since the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Some threats have already resulted in violence. A gunman opened fire and severely wounded Republican House Whip Steve Scalise at a baseball practice in Virginia in 2017 before Capitol Police returned fire and killed the shooter. Scalise, who's been undergoing physical therapy for years, says there should be a zero-tolerance policy and rigorous prosecution for threats, including the verbal ones. Clearly people, and there's got to be mental illness involved in it, the rage that, that some people might get where they think it's okay to take a political difference and want to then go and, and commit violence based on it. And just last week, a man was arrested for threatening to kill a Supreme Court justice. The man was found near Justice Brett Kavanaugh's Maryland home with a gun and a knife and is charged with attempted murder. The Southern Poverty Law Center, an advocacy organization, says the increasingly overheated and inflammatory rhetoric of politicians is fueling a combustible, toxic environment. There's no question that hearing from elected officials that this is unacceptable behavior, that there are consequences for embracing. These banners say the hearing was propaganda, and this framing helped Fox viewers feel even more loyalty to Fox. See, the network's stars kept saying the rest of the media was, quote, colluding with Democrats, suggesting Fox was the one being bravely independent. The lower-rated right-wing news channel Newsmax handled the hearing a little bit differently. It did air large parts of the hearing live, but the control room put up pro-Trump banners and the host put down the proceedings with anti-Democrat talking points. Again, it was all about feelings. The feeling that the other side is worse. Notably, these shows did little to actually defend Trump. In the MAGA media universe, the January 6th hearings are not about Trump. They're not about the plot to steal the election, not about the use of force to upend democracy. In the MAGA media universe, these hearings are about Democrats trying to make Republicans feel bad, feel guilty for 1-6. That's the narrative. Tucker Carlson seems to be taking it especially personally. On Friday night, he still acted shocked that the other major networks televised the hearing, what he called two straight hours of unedited campaign propaganda scripted by the Democratic Party. He said, quote, nothing like it has ever happened in this country. <laughs> He's a smart guy. He knows the State of the Union happens every year, live on Fox and everywhere else. He knows Republicans hold conventions, Democrats hold conventions, and they're aired on TV. He knows other hearings have blanketed the airwaves, including Trump's impeachments. But forget those facts, right? He's playing to feelings. But I do think he's onto something with that banner. Nothing like this has ever happened in this nation. 
a president lying about the election he lost, his allies plotting to steal power, his supporters attacking the Capitol, his base ignoring new information about the plot, his social media platform helping engage in the cover-up. Nothing like this has happened. Tucker's banner was true, but not for the reasons he thought. Let's bring in Garrett Graff, author of Watergate, A New History. He's also a contributing editor to Wired and a CNN contributor. And Shelby Talcott, senior White House correspondent for The Daily Caller, with us as well. Thank you both for coming on. Garrett, you wrote for Wired this week that America's media ecosystems are, quote, increasingly separate and unequal. What do you mean, especially with the unequal part? Yeah, one of the things, uh, you know, it, this is for almost 50 years after the Watergate burglary, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about the comparisons then and now. And, and the challenge that we now face is that Fox has created, and the right-wing media ecosystem at, uh, beyond it, has created an alternate set of realities that have disinformed and outright lied to their viewers and the American people, and, and that it makes democracy very hard to function when citizens are starting with fundamentally different sets of beliefs about what has actually happened. Democracy requires a certain agreement upon a set of facts such that citizens can participate actively and thoughtfully in their own government. And Fox is sort of step-by-step -step lying to the American people night after night in a way that has torn their viewers from reality. I, I think that it is uh, not surprising to me that they kept the truth of the Thursday night, January 6th committee hearings from their public, uh, because it, I think it, there's a very strong argument that Fox News writ large is effectively an unindicted co-conspirator in the violence and insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. We're going to hear more about that at Monday's hearing when a former Fox political editor testifies uh, he was in the room where it happened, so to speak, on election night and beyond. It'll be really interesting to see what he says. More than 11 years ago, then Congresswoman Gabby Giffords was shot in the head at a constituent event in Tucson, Arizona. Six others were killed. Gifford's new life mission, combating gun violence, brought her back to the nation's capital this week to host a gun violence memorial. Parkland shooting, Vivaldi, D.C., San Francisco. Too much guns. Too much guns. Too much guns. You survived gun violence. Yes. And you're here in a sea of flowers representing people who did not survive. I'm sad. Move ahead. Do not look back. I want to make the world a better place. The former Arizona congresswoman leads a grassroots organization, Giffords. Fight, fight, fight. Dedicated to stopping gun violence, the kind that almost took her life during a constituent event in 2011. Her mission is simple. Save lives, save lives, save lives. I think we have made a lot of progress. Robin Lloyd is the organization's managing director. And that's what Gabby has really spent a lot of her time doing the past um, nine or ten years, is really trying to draw attention to the issue, use her voice where she can um, to enact change, and we've seen a lot of that happen. I interviewed you in 2013, just two years after gun violence almost took your life. 
If you were to name the one, number one thing that Congress could do to prevent the kind of violence that you were the, the victim of, what would it be? Background checks. That hasn't happened. No, no. The Senate, Republicans, I don't know. I don't know. It's divided, divided, really tough. But that's why we're here today. We're saying it's unacceptable that we have 45,000 Americans dead from gun violence. The Senate needs to take action. They need to do something to show the American people that they're hearing their calls for action. I'm optimistic. It will be a long, hard halt, but I'm optimistic. There is so much common ground on this issue when we talk to Americans of all stripes, Democrats, Republicans, gun owners, veterans. It's really only here in Washington that we see the level of divide. Out in the rest of the country, people agree that we can and should do something more, and it's not at odds with gun ownership. Are you still a gun owner? Yes, yes. Wild, wild west. You still think people should have guns, just do it safely? Yes, yes. Activism is only part of Gifford's life today. Yoga twice a week, French horn, Spanish lessons, riding my bike, the gym, yo-yo ma. Gabby recently performed with Yo-Yo Ma. It was a very special experience. She played the French horn. You're living every day. Yes, yeah, yes. For you, being an advocate against gun violence, that's living every day. Yes, 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 yes. There's so much gun violence happening all the time. It's hard to wrap your head around these numbers, and that's why it's so important that we have the 40,000 white roses behind us to represent the 40,000 Americans that died from gun violence last year, and now the new 5,000 orange roses to represent the increase in just one year of how many gun deaths we've had in this country. Too much guns. No more. No more. No more. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria, GPS starts right now. And, and one thing he, uh, the president also not thinking about, and I think uh, the, the hearing is really wisely focused on this, the people that he was victimizing who were his supporters, both with the grift and also those people who came to Washington on January 6th. I think it's striking the video they played at the end where you hear the people who were here on January 6th essentially repeating either the lies they heard from Trump repeatedly, 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 Rudy Giuliani and elsewhere in their media silo and in their information silo. Uh, that's the true cancer here. That's the true cancer here, the fraud of Trump telling these lies over and over again has created a cancer that continues to spread in American politics. That you have this huge group of people voting this year in a midterm election year who continue to believe this. You have candidates running on it uh, for Pennsylvania governor. You have a secretary of state candidate in Nevada in a primary this week. So this cancer is still in the Republican Party and it's a cancer started by this big lie. And, and you see it at other mistrust in institutions, mistrust in the media, mistrust in science, uh, mistrust in the rule of law. This is the ultimate rule of law. I think that was the power of the Ben Ginsburg segment and the BJ Pack segment. You, there are ways to object. There are ways to protest. There are rules to be followed. Uh, the other thing I think was critical today, and this is a continuation, as they move on now to what they say Trump's uh, efforts next to corrupt the Justice Department, to get the Justice Department to step in, and then Trump's efforts to corrupt Mike Pence, to get Mike Pence to step in after mm -hmm. he failed at the Justice Department, is how they're telling this story. I don't know Chris Steyerwald's politics. Everybody else you heard from today was a Republican on Team Trump, his daughter, his son-in-law, his attorney general, 
his White House counsel, his campaign counsel, his campaign manager, Team Trump, is hanging Donald Trump. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And in fact, back to January 6th, as we said, yeah. the uh, January 6th Select Committee will be holding its first public hearing. And um, a lot of people watch that first. They election. do. You know, a lot of people like to it look at massive. they like to look at ratings as sort of a, a success meter. Some people look at it that way. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I don't know. It's a little it's silly, a matter of how many people watch over ratings. Yeah, but I will tell you, it is interesting that everybody was saying that the the Democrats and the Republicans that were on this committee had failed. We heard yeah, they that were boring. before. Oh, these were terrible yeah. hearings. They've already failed. Remember, yeah. we had red, red op-eds before they had the first hearing. They yeah. were called failure. Wah, wah. But also really boring. They were called really boring, like they couldn't keep a viewer, you know. But Well, by, by the critics that weren't even watching. Yeah, so else. exactly, because there yeah. was a network that didn't carry it. And yeah. despite that, like a major network, yeah. a powerful network. Really powerful. Um, but based powerful on the ratings for the first first uh, hearing, Sorry. there seems to be a lot of interest. A ton. Mika, do yeah. you know that about 20 million people across what? America watched Thursday's primetime hearing? And that's, of course, according to Nielsen uh, data. But I thought one of the biggest networks didn't even carry no, it. No, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, and as the Times points out, those 20 million viewers is in the ballpark with big television events like Sunday Night Football. Oh, my God. Uh, but I want you to compare those 20 million viewers with the biggest ratings Donald Trump garnered for his reality show. Oh, the right. 2014 show of Celebrity the Apprentice. The finale. This was the buildup. This, they had 7.6 oh. million viewers. The original Apprentice, uh, its final season. That's a big finale. The final, only had 4. Wow. So these so, hearings. So I'm not, I'm not trumped that. Not really good at, at math. Uh, Lemire, but it seems, and if you look at the Let last season of The Apprentice, Donald 20. Trump got 4.6 million, Liz Cheney got 20 Six. million. And Let's then, add up both and then apprentices. The celebrity, no, no, don't do that. No? The Celebrity Apprentice, that final season got 7.6 million. 7. Which is good because, you know, after The Apprentice, you know, only 4.6 million for a primetime show that he said was the greatest ever. They had to start getting celebrities like, like Gary Buse <laughs> and other people on <laughs> to like, get, get people watching. Right. Because Trump wasn't, you know, his 4.6 in primetime on, on a broadcast, but really small. But anyway, so but look at look at these numbers again. Let me see. It's pretty significant. So, like, you know, if Trump said that The Apprentice was like one Generous of the uh, most popular shows of all time. 20 million. That's great. Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah. Yeah. No. And oh, hold on. We're still looking at these numbers. Mm. The Apprentice yeah. final season. 4.6 million to Liz Cheney. You could add those committee. up, but it still wouldn't add up. 20 million. Hearing. No, you could add up his final season average for Celebrity Apprentice and final season for The Apprentice, and it still wouldn't. Yeah, That's no, weird. Okay, yeah, looks like Liz has him uh, like more than doubled there. Yeah, we need Steve Ratner to break down the math here because we're all struggling with it. But there's no yeah. question that the ratings for that first hearing last week dwarfed anything then celebrity developer Donald Trump got for either of yeah. his itinerary uh, of the Apprentice franchise. Uh, and it did yeah. put to rest some of the doubts, as you just said, whether Americans would be paying attention. And, and 20 million is a significant yep. number. It's less than a president would get, say, for a State of the Union, but more than just about anything else that would be on television at any other time this year. Uh, so that's a real deal. 
real and people were watching. Yeah. There seems to be, we had in the, uh, way too early, uh, a focus group uh, from our friend Leanne yeah. Caldwell oh who said that gosh. people had opinions changed by it in the immediate aftermath. It was so yeah. compelling, particularly that video. Look at here, the NBA Finals yeah. this Guys, year. American dwarfed. Idol. Yeah, American Idol, yeah. the World Series, all fall far short of the combined viewership of those January 6th hearings, which, mind you, don't even account some of the online viewers. Uh, so this is yeah, a big I, deal, and there's real momentum heading yeah. into today's second hearing. Mike, you look at the comparisons, of course, there's really no comparison with, uh, with The Apprentice or Celebrity Apprentice. Like Liz Cheney just crushed Trump as far as ratings yeah. go. I said Liz Cheney. I don't think she's boring. It's, a, it's the I'm January like, well, 6th committee, but she was the one, you know, she was the, you know, she, I wasn't going to say the Gary Busey of, but I mean, you just look at that, it's huge. She was incredible. She wasn't. She was like the Margaret Thatcher of it. But, yeah. But now look at these other and numbers, so. though, because, you know, these celebrity, these are puny numbers for a primetime uh, broadcast show. But let's look at these other numbers that Alex put up. Uh, you know, and I'm serious here. Everybody, everybody was saying this hearing was going to be just total garbage. But the final game of the World Series, a pretty good one between the Braves and the Astros, 11.76 million viewers to the committee getting 20 million. The 2022 20, NBA Finals average of the first three games, about half uh, at 11 million, 11.78 million. American Idol for this past week, 6.5 million, a third uh, of what... Uh, the the Liz Cheney uh, hearing it got, and the Survivor 5.7 million, uh, a, a little more than a fourth. So again, for those people whining about how bad the hearing was and how boring it was, America disagrees. I think so. Mike, All right. You, you know. I don't think I'm alone when I say I was surprised at that number that they achieved 20 million uh, viewers. Uh, and in addition to that, I mean, this is the kind of event that when you're watching it on television, it's not like the NBA Finals or it's not even like a World Series game where you turn away, you talk about a play or you go get a Coca-Cola or something to watch the rest of the inning or the rest of the quarter. You're paying attention if you're watching this. That residual yeah. impact that it has on people, I don't think you can measure it yet, but it's out there. People who watch this did indeed yeah. pay attention to it. Yeah, you know, Caitlin Flanagan had wrote that she said, finally in my lifetime after hearing about all of these hearings, I finally find a hearing that's as compelling as what my parents watched uh, during Watergate. They're extraordinarily compelling. And for those people that were whining, saying that they learned nothing new, um, completely false. Didn't watch. Completely false because on the air. you saw time and time and time again, you saw people inside the Trump White House calling Donald Trump out, telling us what happened during the January 6th saying riots. Saying what he was saying for, was for, BS. Right, exactly. For the people out there, the anti-anti-Trumpers that say, oh, well, they should have some pro-Trump people on there. <laughs> That's all they had. <laughs> they had pro, people who were so pro-Trump that they dedicated their professional lives to working for Donald his Trump, even though his. it was costing them I think reputationally, because he had done so many horrific things, they still stayed loyal to him. Yeah, it is. It was incredible to yeah. watch, and there's more to come. Yeah. 
think the ratings from the yeah. uh, first night of hearings Seemed were well. I mean, one major network didn't even carry it, and yeah. it, it got pretty high ratings. Huge ratings. We'll talk about that coming up. And um, a lot of people watch that first. They one. do. You know, a lot of people like to it look massive. at. They like to look at ratings as sort of a, a success meter. Some people look at it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a matter of but how many people watch over ratings. Yeah. It is best. But I will tell you, it is interesting that everybody was saying that. The, the Democrats and the Republicans that were on this committee had failed. We heard yeah, that they were boring. Before. Oh, these were terrible yeah. hearings. They've already failed. Remember, yeah. we had read, read op-eds before they had the first hearing. They yeah. were called failure. Wah, wah. But also really boring. They were called really boring, like they couldn't keep a viewer, you know. But well, by, by the critics that weren't even watching. Yeah, so exactly, because there yeah. was a network that didn't carry it. And yeah. despite that, like a major network, yeah. a powerful network. Really powerful. Um, but based powerful on the ratings for the first uh, hearing, Sorry. there seems to be a lot of interest. A ton. Mika, yeah. do you know that about 20 million people across what? America watched Thursday's primetime hearing? And that's, of course, according to Nielsen uh, data. But I thought one of the biggest networks didn't even carry no, it. No, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, and as the Times points out, those 20 million viewers is in the ballpark with big television events like Sunday Night Football. Oh, my God. Uh, but I want you to compare those 20 million viewers with the biggest ratings Donald Trump garnered for his reality show. Oh, the right. 2014 show of Celebrity the Apprentice. The finale. This was the buildup. This they had 7.6 oh. million viewers. The original Apprentice, uh, its final season. That's a big finale. The final only had four point. Wow. So these so, hearings. So I'm not. I'm not trumped that. Not really good at, at math. Uh, Lemire, but it seems that if you look at the Let last season of The Apprentice, Donald 20. Trump got 4.6 million, Liz Cheney got 20 Six. million. So, like, you know, if Trump said that The Apprentice was like one Generous of the security. most popular shows of all time, 20 million. That's great. Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, yeah no. And hold on, we're still looking at these numbers. Mm. The Apprentice yeah. final season. 4.6 million to Liz Cheney. You could add those up, but it still wouldn't add up. 20 million. No, no, okay, yeah, looks like Liz has him uh, like more than doubled there. Yeah, we need Steve Ratner to break down the math here because we're all struggling with it. But there's no yeah. question that the ratings for that first hearing last week dwarfed anything then celebrity developer Donald Trump got for either of yeah. his itinerary uh, of the Apprentice franchise. There's really no comparison with. Uh, with The Apprentice or Celebrity Apprentice. I All right, bands will make her dance, but will really do the trick? Unionizing. That's right. As employees at companies like Apple, Amazon, and Starbucks push unionizing, so too are some strippers in Los Angeles. Dancers at the topless bar, Star Garden, plan to join the union, Strippers United, which would make them the first strip club in America to unionize in over two decades. Now, dancers have been on strike there for over two months now, fighting for employee labor rights. Everyone deserves an equitable workplace, and it's time for adult dancers to have a seat at the table. And I'm very excited to have this conversation. Right, Tiffany. Well, I just want to say that what Giselle was talking about with house fees, it's a pay-to-play model, and it's, they're profiting off of the literal bodies of strippers with their tip-stealing, wage theft. And what strippers need is an anti-discrimination policy that has teeth and bite. And the only way to do that, 100 years plus of labor organizing will show that that's the way to push for these anti-discrimination policies. 
and the rights of workers. And what happened during COVID is that strip club owners fired the black and brown dancers, fired the trans dancers, fired the veteran strippers, fired strippers for asking to see their contract or expressing concern about their safety during a global pandemic. And it's just my belief, my recommendation was to say that votes were still being counted. It's too early to to, to tell, um, too early to, to call the race. But, um, you know, we are uh, proud of the race we, we run, we ran. Um, and we, you know, think we're think we're in a in, in good position, um, and we'll have more to say about this, you know, the next day or the next day, whenever we had something to say. Thank you, uh, Mr. Stowell. After the votes were counted, who won the presidential election of 2020? Uh, Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr. of the great state of Delaware. Thank you. That's the bottom line. We've had an election. Mr. Trump lost, but he refused to accept the results of the democratic process. Pursuant to Section 5C8 of House Resolution 503, I now recognize the gentlewoman from California, Ms. Lofgren, for questions. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Schauwald, I'd like you to explain a term that was thrown around a lot during the election, and that's the so-called red mirage. What does that mean? <clears throat> so in the 40 or 50 years, let's say, that Americans have increasingly chosen to vote by mail or early or absentee, <clears throat> Democrats prefer that method of voting more than Republicans do. So basically in every election, Republicans win election day and Democrats win the early vote. And then you wait and start counting and it depends on which ones you count first, but usually it's election day votes that get counted first and you see the Republicans shoot ahead, and then the process of, of bailing and binding and unbinding all those mail-in votes, uh, and some states like Pennsylvania refuse to count the votes first, so you have to wait for all of that to come in. So in every election, and certainly a national election, you expect to see the Republican with a lead, but it's not really a lead. Um, when you put together a jigsaw puzzle, it doesn't matter which piece you put in first, it ends up with the same image, so for us, who cares? Uh, but that's because no candidate had ever tried to avail themselves of this quirk in the election counting system. We had gone to pains, uh, and I'm proud of the pains we went to, to make sure that we were informing viewers that this was going to happen because the Trump uh, campaign and the president had made it clear that they were going to try to exploit this anomaly, and we knew it was going to be bigger because the percentage of early votes was higher, right? We went from about 45% of the votes being early and absentee to because of the pandemic, that increased by about 50%. So we knew it would be longer, we knew it would be more. So we wanted to keep telling viewers, hey look, the number that you see here is sort of irrelevant because it's only a small percentage of these votes. So this red mirage, that's really what you expected to happen on election night. Happens every time. Thank you, Mr. Steyerwald. Eamon, question. Do we have midterm elections coming up? Yeah, of course, Mehdi, we do. Why do you ask? I knew it. I forgot for a moment, but then Fox was kind enough to remind me that congressional midterms are around the corner. Take a listen.
Over 10,000 illegal immigrants set to storm our borders. Yes, if it's a midterm year, it has to be a migrant caravan year. By the way, Eamon, that caravan has already been disbanded by Mexican authorities. But don't let facts get in the way of a good Fox scare story. And Eamon, I was talking about Fox propaganda uh, earlier on the show. It's one of the reasons I refuse to call it Fox News. It's not news. And I have to ask you, in all your years of reporting from around the world, Eamon, in places like General Sisi's Egypt, how different is the way Fox behaves from the propaganda channels that you've seen in those authoritarian countries, those Middle East dictatorships? I mean, listen, you, you raise a very interesting question. I, I have seen a lot of state-controlled media in my lifetime, Egypt, in the Middle East, in Turkey, elsewhere. I've always noticed that, you know, they have a few common characteristics. On one hand, they follow closely the script of those in power, the government, the ruling elite, uh, the ruling class. And two, they ignore the realities of the society that they are reporting on for fear of undermining that very ruling class. And if you ask me, Fox meets those metrics. And perhaps more accurately, instead of calling it um, you know, state-controlled media, it's, it's better to call it a party propaganda broadcaster. This is not an independent news organization looking for the truth. It is a propaganda broadcaster doing the bidding of Republicans. Katie Pavlich, let's get your uh, reaction today. So we have this uh, panel. There is going to be a second panel where more election attorneys and um, the, the commissioner of Philadelphia for elections will be on as well. Well, just watching this hearing, I've been in Washington, D.C., covering countless hearings on Capitol Hill for over a decade now, and watching this one-sided uh, show, quite literally show, that's been produced for television uh, play out really is astonishing in terms of the norms that have been broken here in terms of cross-examination, cross uh, witnesses that are called by the minority. The minority party in this country is not represented in this hearing, despite them representing almost half the people in this country who send them to Capitol Hill to represent them. The other thing that I would say is if you take away what President Trump said about the election, what it being stolen, what Rudy Giuliani was saying, there are actually legitimate questions that people have about the electoral process. You know, when votes are not finished counting and they stop being counted in the middle of the night, they're picked up early in the morning. When you do have, as Bill Barr mentioned, boxes coming in uh, at different hours of the day not being accounted for, those are legitimate questions that people have. We saw in Florida after the 2000 election, Florida went through a number of different election reforms to make sure that people had confidence in their elections. They weren't suspicious of the process. We saw that recently in Georgia with the voter integrity law that they passed, which then developed uh, record turnout in that state in the most recent elections. So this idea that you're not allowed to look at the way that certain things went down in any election, as Democrats have done historically, uh, and ask questions about how the process can be cleaned up and advocate for election integrity is something I think Democrats are missing as well today. And I said this to Senator Coons about the lack of talking about this threat to Justice Kavanaugh and the coverage of it as compared to if this had been a liberal justice with a Trump supporter gone wacko outside their house. Absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, look, this is sort of personal. I know Ashley and Brett Kavanaugh personally from our time together in the White House. And I, 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 it's amazing to me. The law is clear. You quoted it. Uh, it goes on to say, with the intent of influencing any judge. And, and I love it. The American Civil Liberties Union says, yeah, this is a, this statute 
But we interpret it the following way. We point to a Supreme Court case that suggests that as long as they keep moving in front of the house, if they're stationary, they should be arrested. But if they're moving in front of the house, they have a right to try and influence a Supreme Court justice. And, and that is ridiculous. And, 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 and if it is true, I, I didn't see Senator Schumer moving very much behind that microphone in front of the, U, the U.S. Supreme Court where he had a clear intent of influencing a Supreme Court justice. So we, we either ought to apply the law or we ought to just simply say it, it's open season on judges because that's what we're doing. Well, I think you have a right to protest. Yeah, I think but you not have in front of their house. Wait, you have a right to protest anywhere in America now. Clearly, these people should not be violent. And they should not threaten. But the idea that they're influenced—I don't think it's about the influence. Oh. I think it's about a, a, a Supreme Court that's become radical and extremist and activist, and is going to put out a decision that's going to, believe me, polarize this so, country. So because undo you, so, 50 years so, so of law. So because you disagree with a prospective decision, you think they have people have a right to show up in front of a house and try and intimidate a judge to change their opinion? I know. And how about any case in America? No. Would you defend everybody I didn't in front say of that. every judge and say, Sir, Carl, by God, if you decided Carl, one way or the other, you know, you deserve my, my, my me protesting in front of your house? Forget Carl, it. That's intimidation. No, it's that's not. That's banana-style republic. First of all, this guy was suicidal and nut, and there's no excusing no, no, him, I'm and not he's a threat. About him. I'm but we're talking about, those about people who are up in no, front of the Carl, house. No, Carl, wait a second. Carl, let me give him a chance. Give a chance. Carl, just a second. But I'm saying that we, as Americans, all have a right to express our upset with undoing 50 years of law with regard to abortion. It's an attack on rights. Okay, rights. but for the groups that publish the addresses of the conservative That's justices. Unnecessary. And you know what? I think everyone sitting at this table has had people demonstrate or come to their door, and it's unsettling. Nobody is defending it. But the right to protest is essential to America. Fine, but not in front of their house. Go have them protest. I'm just telling you, in yeah, politics, okay. that's a reality. Yeah, well, it's this not should, a good reality. This no. be a wake-up call to get this bill yes, out of I the house. Yes, I think the bill will be passed. You heard in Lucas's piece uh, this week, a man called police on himself saying he wanted to kill Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He did that outside Kavanaugh's home, armed and prepared to do it. You co-sponsored this bill last month to beef up security for Supreme Court justices and their family. But the House has not moved on that bill for 30 days. You heard House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in Lucas's piece reference there's no problem here. There's protection for the justices. Nobody's going to get harmed over the weekend. But what about that? And what is the holdup? Staying on this particular thing, there is already a federal statute on the books uh, that makes it illegal to protest in front of a judge's home. It is Title 18, Section 1507. Uh, these groups published the conservative justices' addresses online. They've been protesting nightly. Should they be arrested? All right, last thing before we get to January 6th, a lot has been made this week about words, how much they matter, how much stirring the pot, giving the green light to violence in any way, shape or form is unacceptable. Take a listen to this. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. On the steps of the Supreme Court, do those words qualify, Senator? This week, just hours before the Department of Homeland Security issued a bulleted warning of potential violence surrounding the upcoming Supreme Court ruling on abortion rights, an anti-abortion clinic was allegedly firebombed by someone in upstate New York. Hardin says he believes Compass Care was targeted because of the services they provide. 
It's an anti-abortion clinic, which offers what Hardin calls ethical medical care to women considering abortion. You'll see a sign over here with graffiti saying Jane was here. Uh, that represents Jane's revenge. It's an abortion terrorist group. At a press conference earlier this week, Hardin blamed the damage on a group called Jane's Revenge, sort of. They have said that they would strike again in, in different parts of the state on the lead up to the potential of Roe versus Wade being overturned, and they have done that here, apparently. We're not sure exactly who's done it. What makes you think it was this group, Jane's Revenge, that attacked your facility? They left their signature calling card, number one, with their spray-painted message on the side of our building saying Jane was here. Who exactly Jane's Revenge is is still unclear. The group, if they're a group at all, remains anonymous. They've allegedly taken responsibility for a similar attack last month on a conservative organization that lobbies against abortion in Madison, Wisconsin. There, a message spray-painted on the building's wall read, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't I. So let, let's get to unpacking. You have the, yeah, we're going to spin because we don't want to talk about the truth. You got Mr. Fucking Potato. You got Gabby Giffords because this is all linked now. For me, January 6th, trying to kill a Supreme Court justice, take our guns. It's all a big front by them. You have, we're not covering shit anymore. We're not going to cover it. We're not going to talk about it. We're ignoring it. I'll get to the stats in a second. It's just, oh, um, I had some positives. You have some Morning Joe. You got Tiffany Cross. You got America's Garbage. You got, surprisingly, CNN talking alleged firebomb. Alleged. It's alleged. Well, it's fucking on fire. How's that alleged? And I'm just going to leave this up as I go through it. Because once again, this is a, an old tweet. But this is why we can't get anything done. Look what he says. Fang, fang. Now, remember, we've gone through a very interesting time in the last fucking four years. I mean, uh, Feinstein and this guy caught with Chinese spies. Nothing happened to him. Hunter Biden's laptop. Nothing happened to it. Hillary was colluding with Russia and Ukraine to get information. Whole Russia collusion's all false. It was just made up. Sussman, who literally had an office, FBI had an office in his office, he walks. I mean, we have just seen blatant partisanship on the highest level. And it all colludes with the media. Nobody covered it. ABC, January 6, 19 minutes. CBS, January 6, 19 minutes. NBC, 36 minutes. These are the Sunday shows. CNN, 18 minutes. They never talked about the attempt to kill Supreme Court justice. Knowing if the shoe was on the other foot and it was Sotomayor or Kagan. My God, my God, it would be insane. Then you have literally Liz Cheney able to cross-examine because we're not, we're not, we'll just examine because we don't have a cross. We have no other side. Her opponent's manager arresting the guy in Michigan so Whitmer doesn't have an opponent now.
And he was just there. He never walked in the Capitol. I mean, this is some Soviet shit. Soviet level. Schiff says evidence of Trump being responsible for January 6th is very powerful. Once again, he says it, but the committee chair said they're not bringing criminal charges. They don't have criminal charges. Liz Cheney's butt hurt on that shit. Politico warns that SCOTUS could soon make it a lot more difficult for executive branch controlled wide swaths of American life. Supreme Court is expected to issue ruling this month, hobbying the Biden administration effort to rein in climate change. But its impact could weaken the executive branch's power to oversee wide swath of American life. I could go back and show you the exact opposite. Dangerous level for Trump to have power. Or Bush to have power. But that's supposed to be a straight up the middle. Kurt Schlitzer uses old Eric Swalwell tweet, and this is it right here. How can you be serious when you just showed what red flag laws are about? This is what you want them to be. You want to use it against your name. We used to have some Democrats cross the street. Anybody been with the show? They they let their dog. We used to let their daughter dog watch, and they had sex. She had sex with a black guy in our house, and my dog ate the rubber. And they literally told them not to tell us because we don't like black people. She just assumed that because we didn't want to vote for Obama, and we didn't want to vote for HRC. But those people, I didn't clean my weapon on the front porch because I didn't trust them because they're that type of people. If you vote a certain way, you're morally defective. That's the left. I don't look at a liberal and go, you're a fucking morally defective person. I just think you have bad decision-making process when you vote for a a fucking invalid as a president because you just hate Trump's tweets. It was a bad choice, but surprisingly, everything most of us said would happen have happened economy's gone to shit because they want to socialize everything all they care about is climate change or destroying the energy industry and more importantly they are the fascists that they were screaming about they are the fascists i mean i don't want to forget to play these the whole purpose of january 6th is brought together in this first soundbite by CNN, which is basically vote for Dems. And the second one shows what they're really about. They want to control everything. They don't want social media to be there. They think everything should be censored. And so the challenge is now that we're moving from denial to actually just trying to to disengage the public from understanding the values of solar energy, the values of wind energy, the benefits of clean energy. We have to get tighter. We have to get better at communicating. And frankly, the tech companies have to stop allowing specific individuals over and over again to spread disinformation. That's what the fossil fuel companies pay for. That's what folks who make money out of fossil fuels and don't make money in and, and don't care about saving consumers' costs. That's what they do. We have to be smarter than that, and we need the tech companies to really jump in. 
asking about the past. Remember, Bill Barr has said that he would still vote for Donald Trump. You have Bill Stepien, who I believe is working on a campaign of somebody who is against Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who is promoting foundationally very much what Trump, who's endorsed this candidate. So it's not too long in the past this has actually happened about who they once were. You say Team Chicken. This is not about what happened then. This is about where they're going with yeah. it forward. They're not willing to let this go to the degree that it's going to hurt the what they see as the party's way to cling to power in this degree. You know, they are willing to keep putting up with, if not actively advancing, this complete BS story that this election was stolen. But to, but to ask a Republican like Bill Barr, who has been a stalwart Republican his entire life, to put it to him and say, your choices are to abandon your entire political value system. I, I, don't, I don't personally think it's a fair question. He's already said he's going to support someone else in the 2024 primary. He's made it perfectly clear he doesn't think Donald Trump should be the nominee again. But you have to understand, Republicans deeply believe that what and what Bill Barr has directly said is what a lot of us believe, that the progressive, I you know, that. policy mindset is terrible for this country. And they're not interested but in electing it just because they don't like Donald Trump. At some point, you have to decide but, whether salvaging democracy is more important they than your they don't political. See it that the whole, way. But the whole point of these hearings is to show it's not saying the Republican way of governing the country is the wrong way. I mean, Liz Cheney is sitting up on that day. She's one of the most conservative Republicans in the party. They're saying this man, this man criminally undermined our peaceful transfer of power. I think that's where people get stuck. But the question is always, well, then you must be ready to vote Democrat in 2024. Well, no, well, Bill Stepien or, or, or Bill Barr is it? No, we're going to cross that bridge when we come to it. But what I hear all these people saying is, incorrectly, Let's get a different nominee. Let's do something different here. That's the first bridge we have and to cross, way, and it's the correct bridge. And the way to drive that home is to make clear that, no, you will not support the man who has been willing to burn down the system. If it's the, oh, well, I'd rather have somebody else, but if he makes it to be the nominee, yeah, I'll back him because these guys are so bad. That's no way to make it clear. A Reagan reference from an ex-conservative. That's how brainwashed they are. And Matt Dowd, this 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 is where we're at. He retweeted this. This is the right angle. The people saying, I don't care about January 6th because of inflation would have backed Hitler because who cares about democracy? It's everything they're about. Second January 6th hearing, criminalized Republican for election objectives after Democrats made them commonplace for decades. That's why I played it in my intro. These very same people who told you, oh my God, Trump and saying the election is stolen. Oh, it's tearing the fight. You still say Russia colluded with Trump and that's how he got elected. Even though every evidence shows you made it up. You made it up. You cats lied. In the Nancy Pelosi way, gets somebody to print it, FBI reports it. CNN, John Harwood. And, you know, it's hard for me to even read this. They really think we're stupid. They think we're just morons that they can just, it's, it's Chuck Todd, non-college educated. Crystal clear that the January 6th committee's work product now on display is not in the slightest bit partisan. How conservative is Ron Hanks? Hanks was rated one of the most conservative members in the statehouse. 
He says Joe Biden's election was a fraud. Hanks wants to ban all abortions, and he wants to build Trump's border wall. Hanks even sponsored a bill that would allow concealed carry with no permits. Ron Hanks, too conservative for Colorado. Democratic Colorado is responsible for the content of this advertising. Wouldn't that be like end of days if the Republicans were doing that? I mean, you know about it. It'd be front page news. I mean, it's so bad there's parodies now. So for our commander in chief moment, the first track is a fictional or fictional if Trump Biden press conference. It's really good. Before I took office, there was a lot of folks out there, a lot of folks out there making some pretty bold predictions about how things would turn out. You might remember some of the predictions. They're coming for your guns, they're coming for your jobs, and they're coming for your freedom. They hate American energy and Joe Biden will shut it all down. He's going to. Uh, that if, if I became president. Biden's elected, he will wipe out your energy industry. Another prediction. That is my favorite one, I must add, is that if I got elected, gas prices going five, six, seven dollars for a gallon. <laughs> flood your communities with criminal aliens, drugs and crime while they live behind beautiful gated compounds. <laughs> they try to take away your guns. Second Amendment. They want to take it away while they enjoy private security that's fully armed. I never understood that one. You spent trillions of dollars rebuilding foreign nations, fighting foreign wars, and defending foreign borders. So for all those predictions of doom and gloom six months in, here's where we stand. Do you want to use the word recession or depression? Think of the single mom struggling to put food on the table each month. You know, it's, uh, it's sad. So if your primary concern right now is inflation. We could stop it in 30 minutes. When I took office, he finally went outside. He went to get an ice cream. Look, the bottom line is this. I say you're not doing a very good job because he can't take any questions now from the press. I don't want to hear any more of these lies about reckless spending. We're changing people's lives. Quick domestic one, please. Uh, most presidents, I'm guessing, would say they don't pay attention to the polls. Um, but does President Biden feel any concern that his approval rating is, is really pretty amazingly low and consistently low? Um, I believe today went under the average of under 40 percent the first time. The president's focus on delivering for the American people. That's his focus right now. Mm -hmm. Number one, no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. All that's true. All of that is true. I mean, whatever you want to say about Trump, he could be a douchebag. He was unpresidential. Hey, I got it. He was. It's all been true. 
And we just talked about Afghanistan. I, I saw this last night on the news. Tonight, the U.S. Air Force cleared the crew of a C-17 involved in the chaotic U.S. evacuation from Afghanistan last year. You may remember the shocking images, Afghan civilians clinging to the wheels, at least one falling to his death. Well, tonight, the Air Force says the crew exercised sound judgment in getting airborne quickly as the security situation deteriorated. So we did an investigation in them. We did an investigation on the border for guys that didn't whip people. But nobody else gets investigated. We're not investigating the fall of Afghanistan. We're not investigating anything about the border. WAPO. The average price of gas when this expert analysis was published was 212. The energy 202. Conservatives predict gas prices will spike under Biden. Experts say those fears are overblown. Really? Hmm. Andre Ostroy, serious question for Republicans and independents. What would you rather have, 250-gallon gas or a democracy? 95% of those said they'd rather have cheaper gas because you can't have a democracy because you can't have a life. People can't have lives right now. There are people quitting their jobs because they can't get to work because they're working for gas. I just said it. I could have picked up a couple jobs. but the drive to fucking Nashville. What's the point? Wages were under $20 an hour. You can't. Fuck. It would cost me shit tons of gas, even with a good car, to go to Nashville and back home every day. It just wouldn't work. Jake Paul lists each and every one of Biden's accomplishments in a brutal tweet and the left just can't deal. I was going to put this. Let's just put this up. This is this is a good tweet. Highest gas prices, worst inflation, plummeting crypto prices, highest rent prices ever create a new incomprehensible language. If you're reading this and voted for Biden and you still don't regret it, then you are America's problem. Replies. Jake Paul accomplishment, white mediocrity. Jake Paul has the audacity of calling someone the American problem. If I ever ended up supporting the same candidate, Jake Paul, I'd stop commenting on politics altogether. Hmm. So, in turn to what Americans want and what the media a.k.a. the Dems want. Here is literally, and I think I can do this, I can do it live. Look at the difference. So what they've been covering, abortion rights, capital riot investigation, COVID, climate change, LGBT issues, Ukraine. It doesn't even cover what people care. But what's the most important thing they can do? Joe Biden made the gas expensive. They're doing memes, cover-ups of people who dog. I did that. That's how they're handling it. Daily Mail. 
surprisingly a better media than we have. White House says Biden has sparked a historic economic boom as stock market plunges into bear market amid record inflation, high gas prices, and recession fears. And our media, the hypocrites, oh, they're, there's a lot of spin. So there's going to be two parts to this. Spin, and then you see Don Lemon, and holy crap, there's also a little change on CNN because they got a new boss. But are those Republicans offering a different economic solution? I get it. Things are really painful right now, and Biden's the guy in the White House. But come November, the issues that plague our economy, supply chain issues in China, the war in Ukraine, they're not going away. So what are Republicans offering other than don't vote for Biden? He's a stinker. Oh, you want substance now in a political campaign this I'm cycle, crazy. Stephanie. Okay. Listen, of course they have no answers and they're experts in 2020 mm -hmm. hindsight and they see an opportunity here. The so-called red wave is coming and so they're going to use whatever shibboleth they can think of to try to pound the Democrats uh, for being responsible for this and they have no ideas of, of, of their own, mostly at the top of the ticket too. By the way, when you talk about the gubernatorial race you talk about the US Senate race here which you know is pivotal uh, Stephanie Catherine Cortez Masto is considered one of the more vulnerable senators and they are tying her to Biden but of course they are not presenting any kind of alternatives to fix the economy because you know that would entail them actually presenting a substantive debate uh, I don't see that happening although uh, those of us uh, uh, in the media here are trying well, they always say it's the economy, stupid. What would be smart would be to offer an act. Here at home, Americans are finally getting some relief. Finally, right? Good news, people. We talk so much about bad news. Oh, my gosh. This is good news. Gas prices are heading south, down. A government forecast, forecast says that they could drop below $3 a gallon. Whew. Finally, some economic relief, however minor, Americans are paying a little less at the pump after weeks of rising energy prices. Relief for the United States as energy costs drop. That pain that you've been feeling at the pump, it may be short-lived. There is finally some relief at the pump. Good news at the pump. Finally getting some relief, as you mentioned. The national average price of gas dropped four cents in the last week. Gas dropped nearly a nickel in the last week. It's a seven-week low. It's moving in the right direction. The average is now at a seven-week low. Actually, a seven-week low. Slightly lower gas prices, so that's good news. Yeah, this is the kind of positive news we've wanted. Yeah, really good economic news, including dropping gas prices. Gas prices will tumble below $3 a gallon soon, so that's good news. person familiar with the White House's thinking told me today that lower prices at the pump are good news. Yeah, and I do think we have to note that gas prices and natural gas, for example, going way down. There are plenty of signs that the U.S. economy is strong. This economy moving in the right direction. It's not perfect. There are inflation concerns here, but there are a lot of things to be very, very grateful for as we head into. Evening, Brett, a quick check of numbers that have changed since President Biden's inauguration day. Gas prices are now twice as high, and the average, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average stocks are now trading lower. But officials around here insist They've got the economy in great shape.
Uh, we know families are concerned about inflation in the stock market. Now that all Dow Jones Industrial Average gains under Biden are gone, the White House is changing their tune on the stock market from a month ago. We do not, that's not something that we keep an eye on every day. But when things are good, the president wants credit. It has hit record after record after record on my watch. As stocks drop, gas prices soar, now more than $5 a gallon, as President Biden weighs a trip to a major oil producer. Tonight, new fears of a recession after a dismal day on Wall Street. The S&P 500, the index tied to most 401ks, finishing down nearly 4% for the day and more than 20% for the year, officially entering so-called bear market territory. The stock market is suffering through a very bad case of indigestion because inflation has been surprisingly high and persistent. Persistent and getting worse. Prices rising from the grocery store to the gas pump. Tonight, many Americans are worrying about their retirement funds as stocks drop to new lows for the year. Investors began the week hitting the sell button thanks to rising inflation and a fragile economy. The Dow was down more than 2% on the day. NASDAQ dropped more than 4% and the S&P sank more than 3%. The S&P finished the day in a bear market. The last time that happened was at the start of the pandemic. And for those invested in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, well, the crypto market crashed today, wiping out billions of dollars. It all comes ahead of a closely watched Federal Reserve meeting this week, where the central bank is all but sure to raise interest rates. And it's possible the benchmark rate could be raised even higher than forecasted, going up by 75 basis points. That could be the biggest hike in more than two decades. It was another brutal day on Wall Street. The Dow plunging 876 points, the S&P falling into bear market territory. It comes as the Fed prepares to raise interest rates again to compete. And let's say you're not an investor, you're an American consumer. Well, guess what? The news there isn't much better. For the first time, gas prices are now averaging over five bucks a gallon. That's a lot of money. One estimate, Mark Zandi, he's now saying that households are now spending about $160 more on gas a month than they were a year ago. And if you think gas prices are up, other things are up as well. Food prices, it seems like everything out there we're buying costs more. So why? we've got to look at what's happening around the world. The war in Ukraine is obviously having a huge impact on gas prices, but they're also a really big exporter of grains, wheats. That's causing food prices to go up. But what's important to remember, it's causing prices to go up around the world. We also still have supply chain issues. Because China has been shut down, that impacts the supply chain. And this inflation that we're dealing with, other countries are dealing with it as well. Canada, Mexico, Europe, around the world. But for the American consumer out there, they don't necessarily care that prices are high around the world. They care that it matters here. But there are bright spots in the economy. Our jobs market is still very strong. Our wages are up. And despite prices being higher, we are still seeing people spending. In fact, we're expecting going into this summer very high demand for travel, people flying, people driving. We might not like spending these higher prices, but we're willing to do it. And right now, all the focus is on the Federal Reserve, because when we could say, what is the president doing? He's not doing much because he can't. It's about the Federal Reserve. They're going to raise interest rates this week, possibly half a percentage point. And here's why this matters. If they raise rates too quickly, well, that could dip us into recession. And if they don't do it enough, Prices could keep rising and rising, and inflation hurts. But what's also important to remember as we're dealing with this, this can't be solved overnight. 
And Republicans right now are using inflation to push people to the polls because it's really hard for us. So I ask you, just like we're asking the president and this administration, what are you doing about inflation? Well, Republicans say it's the number one issue. For the Does the president have the stamina physically and mentally, do you think, to continue on even after 2024? Don, you're asking me this question. Oh, my gosh. He's the president of the United States. You know, it, he I can't even keep up with it. We just got back from New Mexico. We just got back um, from California. Uh, that is uh, I, 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 that is not a question that we should be even asking. Just look at the work that he does. Look what he's how he's delivering uh, for the American public. Look that what that 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 article that we're talking about is hearsay. It's salacious. That's not what we care about. We care about how are we going to deliver for the American people? How are we going to make their lives better? That's what the president talks about. That is his focus. Uh, and that's where we're going to continue uh, to, to focus on. You know, I think uh, we should okay. endorse when we get to it. But I, I, I believe that the president has been doing a very good job uh, so far. And, um, you know, should he run again? I think that I, you know, I think it's it's we'll take a look at it. <laughs> So these comments, not exactly a full-fledged uh, endorsement there. Uh, and, and the comments come as the New York Times published an article with the headline, Should Biden Run in 2024? Democratic whispers of no start to rise. Um, I was just interviewing David Axelrod, mm -hmm. and, and he said, look, this is hand-wringing among Democrats is, is kind of what Democrats do. But do you think that President Biden should be worried about an uprising within his party? Well, I think what President Biden should be worried about is 2022, because that's what's in front of us. And I actually think if we do get a shellacking in 2022, that will make it a lot easier for people to continue this kind of whisper campaign, um, because I do think that that's all that it is right now. So I think this president and Democrats should be and are focused on 2022 to continue to make the case candidate by candidate, that they are the ones that have the values and the principles that are taking care of the interests of the American people. And look what Republicans are offering. No solutions, just blame and more chaos. Uh, look, that was not a trick question. That was a very easy question for her to say that she supported Joe Biden. Look, anything short of a resounding yes to that question is a stunning rebuke of the president. And it's laughable for her to say that he's been doing a good job when we have uh, record inflation, the economy's in a bad spot. We're, we're still dealing with uh, foreign policy disasters and crime is on the rise and crisis at the border. So look, if he's getting uh, pushed back from uh, people of his own party, AOC being a, a big figure in the party, he's in real trouble. And AOC then took to Instagram, her exactly. Instagram stories. And <laughs> Amid skyrocketing inflation and with polls showing most Americans disapprove of his handling of the economy, President Biden today pointed to his own successes. We've created 8.7 million new jobs in 16 months, an all-time record. While again blaming the exploding prices on Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Just since he invaded Ukraine, it's gone up $1.74 a gallon because of nothing else but that. But inflation was running hot well before Russia invaded, fueled in part by the supply chain crisis and massive pandemic stimulus spending. Today, more evidence that inflation is not cooling. The producer price index, a gauge of wholesale prices, up nearly 11% in one year. Drivers in 21 states plus DC are now paying more than $5 a gallon for gas, a record. Growing fears of a recession, 
President Biden facing growing pressure to take steps to ease the pain. Today in Philadelphia, blaming Republicans for blocking his proposals to lower prices on things like drugs and child care. The problem is Republicans in Congress are doing everything they can to stop my plans to bring down costs on ordinary families. But for now, so many Americans are feeling the squeeze, asking how long they can weather the storm. From the summer heat to white-hot inflation spikes, President Biden defended his economic record in Philadelphia today, arguing that the unemployment rate remains near a 50-year low. And with gas prices hitting record, record levels, the White House today announced the president will visit Saudi Arabia. Here's CBS's Meg Oliver. The expected interest rate hike comes as everything from gas and food to air travel have seen the largest annual increase in nearly 40 years. President Biden today said reigning in rising prices was his top priority. We put America in a position to tackle a worldwide problem is worse everywhere but here, inflation. It's sapping the strength of a lot of families. While the Federal Reserve tries to tackle surging inflation, interest rate hikes could potentially create more economic pain for consumers. By this video tops our national lead. It's a video from the home of Florida's former COVID data scientist as her house was raided by police. Rebecca Jones was fired in May for insubordination. She accused Florida's government of covering up just how bad the pandemic really was in Florida. And now she claims the raid was retaliation from the governor, Ron DeSantis, as CNN's Drew Griffin reports. In our politics lead, a race to watch in next year's midterm elections, Florida's first congressional district. It's right there among the Alabama border. It has been solidly red since 1992. Republican Congressman Matt Gates holds the seat. He is, of course, now facing potential legal troubles and a challenger who made her name defying the law herself. Rebecca Jones, the data scientist, fired in the scandal over COVID case numbers from Florida's health department. Jones became something of a darling to critics of Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. You might recall her dramatic arrest last December or her stint in jail in January. But Well, who knows, Jake? But we do know this. Subsequent reporting has shown that Florida has tried to at very least contain numbers that might make the state's pandemic response look bad. In our health lead now, insufficient evidence. That's what a new inspector general report says it found in response to Rebecca Jones' accusations that she was asked to falsify COVID data on Florida's dashboard. CNN's Kristen Holmes dives into Jones' charges. Jones' charges garnered coverage. It led her to become a progressive cause celeb, despite claims that experts say now do not stand up to scrutiny. DeSantis. Explosive claims from a prominent critic of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis were, quote, unsubstantiated and unfounded. I guess I fucked that up because there's two lemons in there, but... You see the spin, and then because CNN's changing, all of a sudden they're going to ask a real question. He can't run for office. The guy can't run for office. He, he is physically incapable. There is something wrong with his face. If you look at his left eye, he had a stroke. My theory about why he stayed in the basement wasn't COVID fear. It, it was he had a fucking Fucking stroke. Yeah, we got lucky in here. That's why I keep adjusting stuff. Uh, that pipe broke. Yeah, right over the podcast. So uh, 70 bucks to repair it. I was really lucky, but man. Two-thirds of Americans now live paycheck to paycheck due to inflation. I'm going to tell you right now, we're fine. 
because I have my pension and my disability and I don't eat shit and we don't go anywhere. But if we wanted to do things, we couldn't. When you're on a fixed income, granted, I can pay my bills and have plenty of money left over and I can live on that. But I can't do anything else. We're not driving a lot. Biden, less than 1% of the population risks everything to defend our nation, our values, and everything we hold dear. Veterans are the backbone of who we are. Then why did you leave them behind in Afghanistan? Except for the ones fighting on D-Day, you know one of the most important events in world history that you forgot to talk about. Yet you continue to ignore our veterans. You threaten to take VA medical staff away. Inflation affects 100% of the people. What are you doing about it, Joe? Nice timing, but you missed Memorial Day. And then, of course, the infamous picture of him looking at his goddamn watch. NBC. Biden's gaffe or his authenticity shouldn't be smothered by staff. His gaffes are dangerous. That's what you told us for Trump. They're dangerous. Misspeaking is dangerous. AP, the Port of Los Angeles is a testament to President Biden's unrewarded efforts. To address what he calls his top economic priority, inflation. Did the White House press office write this? Yeah, they did. Because they're trying to get him through the midterm. Democrats now who blamed Trump for fucking COVID. Brian Schatz. Presidents cannot do a whole lot in the short run about the price of gasoline. It seems like that should be a part of most news stories regarding what price of gasoline so more people know that. He's a president. Biden went out and started bashing the oil companies, even though I played the soundbite in our Biden. He called for this. NPR promotes leftist effort to chop off Fox News. Nanini Jamini. We can't chop off Fox News head in a day. Baby steps. Sign up here and start sending out emails that will put Fox News on the agenda of major ad executives. That's publicly funded NPR. Atlantic Magazine because of inflation. In March 2021, when inflation hawks were arguing that Biden's administration 1.9 million stimulus plan was going to be overheat the economy, Yellen called the risk of inflation small and manageable and a couple of months later said, I don't anticipate that inflation is going to be a problem. She wasn't alone. For much of 2021, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said that he thought inflation would be transitory. And even as inflation rose above 6%, the Fed kept interest rates near zero. Along the way, that thing Yellen thought was not going to happen, happened. GDP growth averaged about 2%. Great recession becoming another great recession because Biden's awesome. You know. PolitiFact, because they're part of it. Beware of misinformation about red flag laws, including critics who say they lack due process, which is not accurate. Another false claim is that the laws allow people with a grudge, such as an ex-spouse, to take guns away. They are all in, and then we find out our reporters have recently faced online harassment. They have our company's complete support. The action of these anti-journalism forces are deeply concerning. Wait a minute. 
I thought you're fact checkers. I thought you're unbiased. They're not. Leaked internal messages show Twitter employees demanding whether to ban us, and that is libs of TikTok. Chakaka Rachaka, libs TikTok is going to get somebody killed. The Twitter equivalent of I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. This has been escalating for months, but our expectations about Twitter are so low right now that the devil himself is having a squat to get to their level. So I'd like to get to know this account, which exists solely to generate targeted violence at marginalized people. Playing what they say is targeted violence. But if we deplatform this account, we might erode trust in our platform from users who already think we're demonly biased against conservatives. I mean, we successfully deplatformed Trump. I don't think deplatforming Liz of TikTok is going to make a mass exodus, but I guess it may not be in our fiduciary interest to enact a ban on a high-profile account right now. Trans people are being targeted for genocidal violence during Pride Month. Like I said, our expectations are low, given that while James Damore came on with his transphobic misogyny, Twitter gave him a veritable badge, let him go by fired by truth. I apologize. I was not speaking from my own perspective, but applying a commentary on how leadership has behaved recently, I could have phrased that better, and it will be more concise in the future. I despise this pair's activity that's currently flourishing on our platform. Nods. Gotcha. Thanks for clarifying. Posting what people say is lining them up for violence. Once again, the forces that are pushing trans stuff everywhere are doing it for the sole purpose of promoting brainwashing to children so those kids will become good little activists. Been saying it for months. And as we go into our woke section, I'm going to play a little Ben Shapiro because there is graphic evidence that this stuff is getting out of hand. Turn it up. Turn it on. gay immigrant woman, the first of all three of those to hold this position. I would not be here today if it were not for generations of barriers, barrier-breaking people before me. I stand on their shoulders. At her first press conference back in May, newly appointed White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre marked the many firsts she brings to her role in a new ABC News special, Pride, to be seen, correspondent Gio Benitez sat down with Jean-Pierre at the White House to discuss how her LGBTQ plus identity has shaped her and the unique position she's now in. We are seeing so many laws across the country that many see as anti-LGBTQ plus. I wonder for you, as a mother, 
What do you think? I am always concerned as a mom because you're trying to raise a, a, a little person that's going to be the best of themselves. I see those laws and I feel for young people who are in school, right, who are trying to just be who they are. That's why I'm here, to continue to fight and to make sure that we hopefully deliver and change things and make people's lives better. I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. President Biden has urged Congress to protect LGBTQ plus rights with legislation like the Equality Act, which has passed the House of Representatives but stalled in the 50-50 divided Senate. The Equality Act is something that the president called the top priority for the first 100 days of the presidency, but he hasn't been able to push that through Congress. Uh, did he underestimate how hard that would be to pass? No, I don't think so. He underestimated it because, remember, he used to be in Congress. He knows how the Senate works. He knows it takes time, uh, but he knows you have to keep fighting to get things done. Uh, him calling on Congress to act does matter. Uh, is it going to take time? Unfortunately, it will. But does it mean that we stop fighting? Absolutely not. Gio's full interview with White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre and the entire pride. He writes this, last month, a fundamentalist Idaho pastor told his small Boise congregation that gay, lesbian, and transgender people should be executed by the government. Another fundamentalist pastor in Texas gave similar sermons. Representative Heather Scott, an Idaho Republican lawmaker, recently told an audience that drag queens and other LGBTQ supporters are waging, quote, a war of perversion against our children, end quote. And last week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said he would consider sending Child Protective Services to investigate parents who take their kids to drag shows. Jonathan Capehart, this isn't just um, one-off. This is an alternative reality. What was Kelly Kellyanne Conway's thing? Alternate, alternate facts? Alternative this facts. is an alternate universe of hate of um, intolerance, of violence, um, asking the government to execute them. I mean, this is um, beyond flashing red. What do we do? Um, well, one, we have to keep talking about this. We have to uh, do what Frank did and call out those elected officials, those public officials who are engaging in the rhetoric, engaging in pushing and signing the legislation that targets the LGBTQ community. And on top of the AP report, you know, I want to go back to the Southern Property Law Center poll that was released last week or two weeks ago that I wrote about. And part of that report, which was focused on the quote, great replacement conspiracy uh, in the wake of blacks being targeted um, by, a white, by a white nationalist in Buffalo, it also makes the point that the attacks on gender identity
Detroit area activists disrupted mass at an anti-abortion church. I think they're thinking about the cultural degradation of the United States. I think they're thinking about our, our feckless and, and moorless foreign policy. I think that's what they're thinking about right now. Now, speaking of the devastating cultural destruction of our children, it is amazing during this most prized time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's Pride Month, LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign, ampersand, pound sign, hashtag emoji. It's that time of the year. It's magic. Well. I think most Americans are beginning to see that there has been a rather striking move from what we do in our own bedrooms is none of your business, leave us alone, to I'm going to put on a strap on and I'm going to mimic masturbation in front of your children. I think most Americans can see that. The argument for leave us alone, privacy, consent, that argument radically changes when the idea is performative sexual antics in front of children so as to induct them into the idea that all forms of sex are morally equivalent and that if you do not believe this, you are a bigot. It, it, it's a striking shock, uh, really. That is, a, that is a rather shocking move that we have seen from the radical left in terms of the LGBTQ divided by sign community. Uh, that, that is, a, that is a, an unsustainable argument and it's going to have massive backlash attached. And every video that comes out of major American celebrities doing this, or every pride parade that features men in assless chaps jiggling their, their nether regions before small children is going to create a backlash that I think people are not going to like very much. So, for example, Christina Aguilera, who is looking rough these days. Christina Aguilera, she was at the LA Pride Parade, where she donned a, a bejeweled strap-on, which is always just a delightful thing, and uh, mimics masturbation. This was an event open to all ages, so presumably there are minors in the crowd. Here we go. She's been blurred out. She's wearing a strap on and then she's mimicking masturbation. Oh my God, so she's got another woman who is essentially on her knees before her. And then she is going to uh, she's going to mimic masturbating right now with her tongue out in front of a woman on her knees in front of her. This is this is exactly the kind of stuff that, that I think that America's children should be exposed to, because if they are exposed to this sort of stuff, then presumably it will broaden their minds to the point where all their brains fall out. Also, you'll have increasing rates of suicidal ideation among children if they are exposed to a ruleless and roleless society, which is precisely what you're seeing. And it's being promoted by every cultural institution in America. Pride parades are no longer the preserve of adults who are engaged in antics better relegated to the recesses of their boudoirs. Instead, you have men with fake breasts attached to them twerking in front of children. This is a thing that happened at, I believe, again, the L.A. Pride Parade. I believe this one is um, here is uh, in front of a cop, by the way, 
in all likelihood, this would have been arrestable for indecent exposure in any prior time. Um, but um, here we go. And here is a man wearing devil horns, strutting over with fake breasts, and, uh, and trying to twerk on a police officer who's attempting to get away. There are children who are right there in the crowd. Isn't that, isn't that delightful? This is, it's the best that America has to offer. I mean, this is what Nancy Pelosi says. And, and all of this is attached to a basic agenda, which is to, it is to go after kids, not for sexual pleasure, but to go after kids and to mold their minds in such a way that you have raised the next generation to believe all of the radical things that make you feel good about yourself, which is why it is rather important. You have to see this as part of a broader left-wing movement to take your ability to raise your child away from you and through the mechanisms of social media and through the mechanisms of entertainment and through the mechanisms of, the, of, of corporate, corporate America and, and schooling to essentially indoctrinate your kids in an alternative system of values that opposes everything that you wish to teach them. That is the goal here. And it, this is its most extreme form. The less extreme form is, of course, Disney is releasing its new movie Lightyear this year. It's coming out this week. And they've decided to go on full-on LGBT propaganda in the film. So they actually have a lesbian kiss in the film between one of the kids. This is an animated film made for small children. And they're now adding in LGBT orientation lessons for small kids. This is not a shock. I mean, Disney has said they have a not-so-secret gay agenda. That's according to producer Latoya Ravino, who says that they are seeking to add queerness to children's programming. The reason that you're doing this is not because you're seeking to protect the kids, but because you're seeking to indoctrinate the kids in a belief system that makes you feel better about yourself. That is the goal here. And this isn't just true on issues of LGBT. This is also true on issues of race, which is why you have people like Ibram X. Kendi, who is a grifter extraordinaire. I mean, this moral idiot is now writing books for small children, the goal of which is to indoctrinate them in the idea that America is systemically racist and that racism is in the air all around you and that children have to be thinking about race all the time, that somehow this is better for them. So here is Ibram X. Kendi. I believe he's on Good Morning America, correct? This is in CBS Mornings, who is talking about how his books teach children to see racism. So normally what you want to teach kids is to treat everybody really well. Like my kids do not even understand racism because the idea that people should be treated differently based on their skin color is idiotic to them. And by the way, I believe this has been the pattern in the United States for at least two generations at this point. I mean, I was raised this way. The idea was that there are kids in your class who look different than you. And so what? Like treat everybody as an individual, which is the essence of decency. Ibram X. Kendi teaches precisely the reverse. You're supposed to treat people as part of an essentialized race that has a status in American society. And thus we have to have different standards for everyone based on their immutable characteristics. Here's Ibram X. Kendi promoting this garbage to children. Now look at you and say, you're the racist, actually, Ibram Kendi. I, I was watching someone on TV. You're the one that's a racist who's, who's promoting these ideas. He's teaching everyone to see race as yes, opposed to the opposite. Exactly. Well, actually teaching people to see racism. There's, uh -huh. there's a difference. difference. Like the, race is a mirage, but racism is real. And it's, you know who's the most likely to be harmed by racism? Our children. And you know who we're the least likely to engage about it? Our, Our children. Our children. You know, yes. that's what's really so compelling true. me to do this work. What in the world does that mean? Seriously, I, I, want, I want him to like explicate that. Racism is, is most likely to affect our kids. So what, they're supposed to become the chief activists? They're children. The goal is to protect children, but no, for the left, it's not. It's to make them tiny activists. The idea is that children are supposed to be tiny activists for their particular point of view. Now, the argument that the left makes is, well, you know, you on the right, you also want to indoctrinate your children in your values. That's right. They're my kids. 
They're not your kids. They're my kids. And not just that, the values that I'm seeking to teach my kids have been time tested over the course of several thousand years. The values you're seeking your kids came directly out of your colon five seconds ago. And now you're wishing to indoctrinate kids into an entire system of belief that is perverse and confusing to children. And then we are wondering why exactly we have a massive increase in the, in the amount of suicidal ideation and mental illness among kids. Eric Kaufman has a pretty brave piece today over at Quillette talking about this. And he makes a point that I've been making for months on this program, which is that when you look at the skyrocketing rates of mental illness and suicidal ideation among teenagers, that is not disconnected from the sexual anarchy that we have been promoting to small kids. And when you remove all roles, all of the duties, all of the responsibilities, all of the rules surrounding children, what you end up with is kids who are confused, kids who don't know what to do with themselves, kids who are facing the prospect of their own changing biology with, with nothing, with no tools to handle any of that. And then you wonder why people are, are losing their minds, why kids are more suicidal. You wonder why all this is happening? Because you created it and you can see it in the stats. We're all supposed to pretend that it was COVID. It wasn't COVID, it predates COVID. We're all supposed to pretend that it has something to do with the animistic, A-N-O, animistic, atomistic society that we've created, but we're not supposed to actually explain how we got to this atomistic society. We're supposed to pretend that individualized sexual and sexual orientation and gender identity standards are not atomistic in any way. That's a communal thing. That, no, it's not. So, writes Eric Kaufman today in a very important piece over at Quillette, will America be entirely gay in a few generations? Will everyone be mentally ill? It would appear so from a straight line extrapolation of the stunning rise in both LGBT identification and mental illness among young Americans. Let's begin with trends in sexual orientation among young people. A recent Gallup survey found that roughly 20% of Generation Z Americans who have reached adulthood, those born between 97 and 2003, identify as LGBT. That is nearly double the proportion of millennials who do so, while the gap widens even further when compared with older generations. Abigail Schreier reports a 1,000-fold increase in trans identification. Republican Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks this indicates there will be no straight people in a few generations. Bill Maher lampoons the increase as a rebellious fad. Progressives celebrate the rise as an electoral boon for the Democrats. Other liberals view the, view the rise as a product of increasing toleration, like left-handedness, right? This is the chart that they'll send you when you mention the increasing rise in ID. They'll say, well, you know, it used to be that society suppressed left-handedness. Then it got rid of the suppressions and a lot of people identified as left-handed. Yeah, the difference is that flattened out at like 7% of the population. Didn't continue to rise generation on generation over time. Says Eric Kaufman, of these responses, Mars is closest to the target. A granular look at survey data on same-sex behavior and LGBT identity shows identification is increasingly diverging from behavior. More importantly, those who adopt an LGBT identity but display conventionally heterosexual behavior are a growing and distinct group who lean strongly to the left politically and experience considerably greater mental health problems than the rest of the population. In other words, you have a bunch of people who are self-identifying as queer who are actually just heterosexual, quote-unquote, cisgender people, people who identify with the sex they were born into and only have sex with people of the opposite sex, which used to be the statistical norm. And those people are identifying as queer. By contrast, and this is really an interesting contrast Eric Kaufman is drawing, those who engage in same-sex behavior are more politically moderate and psychologically stable than left-wingers who are associate, who are, who are now calling themselves LGBTQ, but engaging in heterosexual behavior. These facts sit awkwardly with the progressive view that the rise in LGBT identity, like left-handedness, is explained by people increasingly feeling they can come out of the closet because society is more liberal. My analysis of these data raise another interesting question. Has some of the increase in anxiety and depression among young people, like the LGBT identity surge, arisen from a culture that values divergence and boundary transgression over conformity to traditional norms and rules? And then he goes through the data, and the data is really, really compelling. And he says, 
There's a serious issue thrown up by these trends, rising levels of anxiety and depression, especially among LGBT female and liberal young people. Derek Thompson's Atlantic article shows that over three in four LGBT identifying teens in 2021 said they felt persistently sad or hopeless, as did 57% of female teens. The 2021 GSS and 2020 Qualtrics survey I conducted show that very liberal young people are twice as likely as slight liberals, moderates, and conservatives to say they have experienced depression and anxiety. LGBT young people are 2.5 times more likely to report these symptoms. This means there is a strong correlation between between people's responses to three questions, sexual orientation, mental health, political beliefs. In fact, a common factor accounts for almost half of the variation in the answers across all three questions, suggesting they heavily overlap. While it can be difficult to pick causation and correlation apart, there's one figure that is interesting. The figure compares two separate groups, young women who report having slept with a woman over the past year and young women who did not sleep with a woman but identify as LGBT. The data shows that the share of women who have had a same-sex partner does not differ a great deal in their ideology. Around 3% of both liberal and conservative women reported a same-sex experience between 2008 and 2021. There's a huge ideological difference, however, among women who have not had a same-sex partner but still identify as LGBT, which means to say political identity, an identity that is directly aimed at Judeo-Christian value systems. Turning to mental health, He says, I find the same pattern. Women exhibiting same-sex behavior are far less different from the average than women who have conventional sexual behavior but identify as LGBT. So bottom line is this. The progressive account that LGBT identification is like left-handedness, that persecution explains mental illness, that rising toleration leads to more people coming out cannot account for the patterns in my data. A more parsimonious explanation is that left liberal culture, especially among young people, inclines people to identify as both LGBT and as having a mental health problem. It may be the modern culture is, as Boston University's Leah Greenfield suggests, anomic. That is, by breaking down established identity roles, narratives, and boundaries, it introduces dissonance, indeterminacy, and choice, increasing rates of identity crisis, and by extension, psychological distress. The rise in mental health problems is worse in the West than elsewhere in the world, reflecting the cultural specificity of mental illness. In a recent article for the Wall Street Journal, Greenfield says, the more a society is dedicated to the value of equality, the more choices it offers for individual self-determination, the higher its rates of functional mental illness. Equality inevitably makes self-definition a matter of one's own choice. The formation of personal identity becomes a personal responsibility, a burden some people can't shoulder. You know who can't shoulder that burden? Any of them? Children. You know who the left seeks to make those decisions? Children. That is why they are targeting children. And anybody, by the way, who, who tries to cram this down on children is committing a sin. You know, the, the, one of the pieces of data that the left likes to cite all the time with regards to this sort of stuff is the idea, and it's not data, that if you give puberty blockers to children, that this somehow is going to make their lives better. Cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, is going to make everything better? Well, as it turns out, there's a brand new study from Heritage Foundation, Professor Jay Green, who's a senior research fellow at the Center for Education Fo- Policy, and he finds that actually lowering the legal barriers to make it easier for minors to undergo cross-sex medical interventions without parental consent does not reduce suicide rates. It leads to higher rates of suicide among young people in states that adopt these changes. Again, not a shock. Confuse kids and then give them the means to screw themselves up and they will take it. None of this is surprising. But you know what the media is angry at? The media is angry at anybody who mentions this stuff or at anybody who even offers the option to kids to get involved in societal institutions that have proved their worth over the course of centuries. Which is why, for example, Sports Illustrated, which used to be a sports magazine and now is actually just a left-wing propaganda outlet that sometimes covers sports. They put out a cover of a coach named Joe Kennedy. He's been a guest on this program. Joe Kennedy happens to be a football coach who was fired for the great sin of kneeling for prayer. You can kneel for the American flag. You can't kneel for prayer at a public school. 
He kneeled for prayer after the games and some, and he didn't force any of the kids to join him. And some of the kids came and joined him. Even kids from the other teams. And so the school district decided to fire him and he sued. So again, prayer in schools was allowed in the United States like as a matter of course for the vast majority of American history. But this wasn't even prayer really in school. This was after the game, he would kneel. And then he was fired for that great crime. So Sports Illustrated put out a tweet. And a prayer in court. SCOTUS will soon rule on the case of a public school football coach who wants to pray on field after games. After games, Greg Bishop on Joe Kennedy, the machine backing him, and the expected result, a win for Kennedy and an erosion of a bedrock of American democracy. See, according to the left, it is a bedrock of American democracy that we must not, we must not allow children to engage with any of the important things in American life. That is a bedrock of American democracy. In fact, we must cram down an alternative point of view. There is no such thing when it comes to the education of children as value neutrality. People on the right who believes that there is, they're wrong. There's no value neutrality in the education of children. The best you can do with regard to value neutrality, meaning we just put you there and you learn what you need to know, is if you actually restricted what was taught to reading, writing, math. That would be value neutrality. But so long as we are teaching anything remotely resembling values in the classroom, somebody's going to win and somebody is going to lose. And right now, the people who are winning in the culture, in the educational system, in corporate America, the people who are winning are the people who seek to confuse and destroy your kids. Those are the people who are on the ascendance in American society. And so we shouldn't be surprised. Well, I mean, if you think that the rates of suicidal ideation have skyrocketed in the past couple of years, wait about five years. Wait about five years when TikTok generation comes of age. As those kids get older, the amount that those kids are going to be screwed up will be beyond. I mean, this is not just a suicidal culture that we are currently engaged in. A culture where, again, you are expected to provide a defense of age-old historic proved tried and true institutions. You must defend those, but nobody has to defend the idea that a boy can be a girl and you should pump cross-sex hormones into kids without parental consent. That is, a, that is a society that promotes suicide on the individual level. But not only is it that kind of society, it's a society that does not want to survive. It's a society in which we have basically decided that we are at the end of time. And at the end of time lies a brave new world in which people are specifically devoted to genital pleasure above all else, and the pleasure that comes from the celebration of your identity, which can be shifting and movable and completely fluid from day to day. And that identity is more important than the success of the civilization or the continuation of the civilization. And, and after all, if there is no next generation, well, at least we'll have a big party at the end of this one. And then, you know, whatever happens next, the earth will go back to the, to the animals and the earth will grow green again and everything will be better. And then there are those people who want to actually you know, have humanity and, and important Western civilizations continue into the future. Those are people who actually believe in all the roles, rules, and necessities that kids need in order to live healthy and functional lives. And they have to be opposing this garbage with every fiber of their being. All right, we'll be back here later today with more content. In the meantime... You know, this LGBT shit's getting kind of out of control. That was a fucking New Jersey bakery. And then, of course, the church. And then the Ben Shapiro, as I promised. I, Man. It's disturbing that there's such an uptick in kids. And once again, these kids, and I'm going to be eating my breakfast while we're doing this. These kids are impressionable. They're very impressionable, and everybody wants to be cool. I've said it on the show. Whenever there's a fad, kids go with the fad. And now, if you want attention as a young girl, you just got to say you're a boy. And the data shows it. 
but are media betters? The Rolling Stone. The Daily Wire has brought ads on social media platforms to promote their right-wing transphobic doc, even though it seems to violate TikTok and meta policy. From the article. For years, right-wing commentator Matt Washholt, Daily Wire host, an all-around shitty provocateur, Matt Walsh has used his platform to go after trans people, so it's not surprising the essential ideology, is, ideology has become the centerpiece of his new documentary. What is a Woman, the film which premiered the Daily Wire website earlier this month, faced controversy leading up to his release. Now the Daily Wire has brought ads on major social media platforms, blah, 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 blah. They violate TikTok and Meta's policy against hate speech, so the platform prohibits dehumanizing, mocking, and or hateful speech about transgender people. I will bet you a dollar they never watched it. Because I did. The whole purpose is what's a woman? Scientists, people that are experts in this field, nobody would answer that question. Sorry. It's all a timetable. I have to eat at certain times or it's my stomach spins out. Yesterday I fucked up and ate rice cakes. Stomach doesn't like it. And I think it's in line with people. Most of us. This shit's out of control. Drag queen explains children will break through heteronormativity barriers you educated swines give. Adele Diamond. Well, let me read the old tweet. Sarah Gonzalez, a dude who performed for children in drag last weekend, said the quiet part out loud. They're coming for your children. The children today are our future, and they will continue to break down these stereotypical heteronormativity barriers that educated swines like you normalize. Drag queens and the gay culture is as mainstream as it has ever been, and we're going to keep pushing forward. It's time to go on the offensive. I won't rest until every American child has been transed. Puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and youth suicide. All sorts of reports coming out all of a sudden because I think a lot of people are starting to push back that show what we said. It doesn't make them better. It doesn't mentally get these kids in the right frame. It actually makes them worse because you're ingesting things you're not supposed to be ingesting. I'm not supposed to have estrogen. Every time I picked it up for my wife, it was a long lecture. Do not take this estrogen. Yeah, no shit. But it's okay to punch it into kids. Remember, they believe at 18, you shouldn't have a gun. 26, you should have health insurance off your parents. 16, you should vote. 12, you should be able to kill your kid. And oh, by the way, 4, 3, 2, 1, you pick your own gender. Same people. You pen swimmer, you could tell he's mentally ill. The Leah girl. And then we have this, which is a long tweet thread. Let me make it bigger. 
Ooh, that's not going to work. Let's do this. Hopefully it's a little bit of it. Hello, my name is Jaden. I'm a 22-year-old D-trans male and former PewDie Brocker individual socially, hormonally, and surgically transitioned as a teenager. Recently, I had the pleasure of watching the documentary, What is a Woman? I wanted to share my thoughts. The interview that particularly caught my attention is when a political commentator, Matt Walsh, interviewed Dr. Michelle Forcier, a physician and routine teens trans youth. Forcier is a big proponent for affirmative health care and puberty blockers. Forcier admits affirmative therapy begins whenever the patient is ready for it. It's no secret trans care is handed, handled anecdotally, but it's unnerving to hear a medical professor professional talk about something as intimate and serious as transitioning in an inconsistent nonchalant manner though that i took issue was though what i took issue to is the fact that she claimed puberty blockers are completely reversible and don't have permanent effects this ever-increasing common narrative is fallacy with medical data lawsuits and personal reported experience directly contradicting it As someone who took these medications as a teenager, I've contended for with many of the effects reported. At age 16, I was prescribed a common T blocker. For nearly a year, I'd struggle and I'd continue to take the medication but have consistently high T levels. Stumped by my labs, my PCP referred me to this colleague, an OBGYN, who within the first few months treating me swapped my T blockers for GNRH antigen implant known as hysterol. In the coming years, I experienced physical, mental, and sexual changes I never could imagine. In my anecdotal experience, blockers were more intense than when I was taking antigens. After T rapidly and permanently blocked for the first time, it led me to develop muscular atrophy, metabolic issues, and bone density concerns, physical issues that still affect me. The lack of physical development and sexual maturation I experienced is irreversible. Even when taking testosterone replacement therapy, the fertility issues and eventual decimation of my fertility altogether will never be rebounded. In fact, the Mayo Clinic even warns of this. Not to mention this direction inevitably led me to the path of cross-sex hormones, and there was issues that were only exasperated with the induction of estrogen. After starting E-injections, I started also dealing with vascular issues and what is likely nerve damage in my legs. I noticed that within the first week, I'm like way off, but whatever. I noticed within the first week of taking blockers, a loss of libido, which was expected, which I didn't expect was facing anorgasmia, a side effect my doctor failed to warn me of. It wouldn't be until years later after demanding the implant be removed I experienced one. I also started feeling as if I wasn't equipped to handle my emotions as I felt much... I felt them much more intensely than I had previously. I started dealing with brain fog, memory issues, trouble concentrating, and depression. These issues unfortunately led me to dropping out of school. To hear medical professionals insist a drug that harmed myself and others is completely reversible and doesn't have permanent effect is frustrating and saddening. It's disturbing how doctors willfully spread misinformation to coup a movement and pathologize GNZ youth. I don't think they do it with bias. I don't think they do it because they think it's good. I think they know if they don't do it, they're going to get canceled. I mean, it's all the way to the top. Democrats. Hey, Holly, we know that Father's Day is not the easiest time for all of us. So if you'd like to not receive emails or tests about it, please sign up and opt out. 
That's from the Democrats. The Democrats. Article. The effects of gay pride and allyship on journalism. It's out of control. They're no longer allies. They're pimps. I'm not covering, but Fox News jumped in the pool. A lot of people pissed. And once again, for those of you just stumbled on this show, I don't give a fuck if you want to be a unicorn when you're of age. But these are kids. You're confusing kids about gender, sexuality. You're teaching them shit they shouldn't know until they're in prison. I mean, Christina Aguilera is all over the place with her family Freddy gay pride in the park where she's walking around with a strap on, jerking it off on stage. Why do kids need to see that? Why? Why? If it isn't brainwashing, why do you feel you have to do this stuff if it's not brainwashing? But that's the deal. It is brainwashing. You want to get them as soon as you can and turn them into little protesters. That's what it's about. If you turn them into little protesters... You got them on their side, your side. You're good to go. I'm trying to get to, uh, I forgot to add this. This is a good one. Hold on. Oh, I'm fucking up the whole show. Fucking up the show because I wasn't prepared. This sums it all up. This sums it all up. These are the same people who want red flag laws. They say you're a piece of shit if you don't want kids to see drag queens. I mean, really think about that. Those are the same people. I keep doing that number thing with the 16, 2, 12 for abortions. These fucking people just make shit up. All right, one more bite and that's breakfast. Probably hearing me eat oatmeal is not the best thing for today, but sorry about that. And we're doing it for almost everything. Um, Here is Luke Rosiak shows the actual bizarre stuff social district school districts are teaching about whiteness. And here are, and I'm just going to make this big and block me out to make it easier to read. And I don't do this because, you know, I'm shirking my duties of reading stuff, but segregation. And I, I think I fucked this up. Where's that damn tweet? There it is. Let me go back. Segregation. Most whites live, grow, play, learn, live, love, die primarily in racial segregation. Yet our societies does not teach us to see this as a loss. Um, where do you live? Where are you making this up? I I live rurally in Tennessee, and we have gay people, black people, Asian people. There's all sorts of people on this block. 
all sorts. Individualism. Whites are taught to be to see themselves individuals rather as part of a racial group. Yeah, because we don't we were taught not to see race, you racist. Focus on intentions over impact, white fragility. I won't even fucking acknowledge that. I fucking hate that line. Rugged individual. Competition, be number one. Justice, based on English common law. Communication, the king's English. Holidays, based on Christian religion, based on white history and male leaders. History, based on Northern European, Protestant work ethic, and emphasis on specific methods, status, power, and authority. Time. They're on time. That makes you a racist. I mean, this is in school. And why? Why do we have to teach this in school? Why is that important? Anybody? That's a college thing. I thought I was told this is all college. It's not taught in schools. There is no CRT. There are 13,000 school districts. They didn't all start saying the same racist thing through coincidence and spread the consultants that carried the virus beginning in the 1990s. This was P.E.G. Singleton. Here's another DEI consultant to know about. Loudon. Here's another consultant to know about. And he lists them all. They're fucking dangerous. And if you never watched the Pete Hangzik show, here's a trailer. Long ago, in the great halls of Athens, the philosophers of ancient Greece, whom we as Americans are forever indebted to, uncovered one of the pillars to maintaining freedom. It was known to them as paideia, a word that has been almost completely forgotten until now. Paideia was discovered by the Greeks, and what they did is they observed the cultures around them, and they said, look, if you take a child out of this tribe and put them in that tribe, they grow up to be like that tribe. It's not genetically tied to the child. It's sure. tied to what they're enculturated to do. The value sets around them. Right. And every civilization that they saw at the time had a servile education. In other words, that the children were raised to serve the gods, for example. To the ancient Greek philosopher Plato and his disciples, their view of God was different than how we perceive God to be. They theorized that God was a form of good, a force that could not be seen or explained and existed outside all of space and time. But it was something that all students and citizens should strive to not only uncover, but to emulate, as this form of good was our creator and the perfect representation of what man could be. For Plato, behind not only things like trees and dogs and cats, but behind our abstract nouns, things like justice and goodness and beauty and truth, behind those things is the absolute form or idea of goodness and truth and beauty. Unlike values that are man-made, virtue is shaping young people in accordance with a standard that does not change from age to age. With all of the Greeks' wisdom and discoveries, it's hard to imagine how a civilization as wondrous as this could ever fall. 
Greeks create Western civilization, but if there was a fatal flaw, they had no word in their vocabulary called nationhood. So there were 1,600 city-states. They all shared the same religion, the same language, but they were territorial. And they had no mechanism to bring in peoples not born there in that state. So they ended up squabbling. And what they called a savage, Philip and Alexander destroyed that system of freedom. Ultimately, the Greeks failed in their pursuit to resist tyranny. But the belief in a virtuous paideia and a liberal arts education was reborn by the West's next great civilization, ancient Rome. The Romans come along and they tend to hire Greek tutors, but the Romans also focus a lot on learning history. They're much deeper, I think, and richer in the sense of historic institutions. The Romans had a pretty long period of great stability, and they valued it, and they tried to train people into running that kind of stability. The Romans took the values, but they said, you know what, we're going to create a nation that can be inclusive of city-states and mold them together, and then apply that to an empire. They can become Roman by their choice. So that's really the basis of the idea of Western inclusivity, that you can be Western, you can be Roman, even if you're not Italian. Mm -hmm. and that was a radical change. The Romans proved that having an empire built upon a virtuous or Western paideia could thrive in a society filled with students from various backgrounds. The Roman Empire covered every possible kind of culture, race, and creed. How were they able to run an empire that was so diverse? They basically give us the idea of universal law. It gives us a way that we can dialogue across cultures by holding up standards, universal standards of reason or logic. We love to watch movies where the Romans are the bad guys, and of course any empire is gonna have corruption. But Rome gave us a sense of law and justice. Read the book, the Gospel of Luke or the book of Acts. Every time we meet a Roman centurion, he is a man of justice and honor and dignity, and he upholds that honor. But as the Romans expanded their empire, they would learn that a Western paideia can only last if each new generation is enriched with the same virtues. So the challenges Rome had was, how do you expand a Western culture and throughout the entire world, 70 million people, a million square miles? And the answer was that every time you did that and annexed another province, you diluted the core. And people participated in the material bounty and success in the system, but they were not able to keep instilling Roman values that, that had created the success. So it became a shell, a veneer. Like the Greeks before them, the Roman Empire would eventually collapse. But not before the Romans were able to infuse the Western Paideia with the miracle of the New Testament. The empire's late embrace of Christianity created one of the most powerful tools for spreading wisdom in human history, the Western Christian paideia. How do you take Christian ideas that are coming out of Judaism and make them understandable to educated Greek and Roman citizens? And what they did is they found that they could explain these ideas using 
Greek and Roman philosophical lingo. And so this great fusion is what changed and shaped the world in a good way. If you read the early defenses of Christianity that are meant for Greco-Roman people, they spoke of Socrates as one of the first martyrs for monotheism. Now, obviously, Socrates wasn't Christian. He also wasn't Jewish. But you can see Socrates moving towards a kind of monotheism, a place where God becomes the standard of what is right and good and virtuous, rather than the crazy Greek gods of Homer and Hesiod and all of the mythology. So would it be fair, Professor, then, to say that Jesus became to many people the form of good that was written about by Plato and other ancient Greeks? With Plato, the forms are ultimately abstract and impersonal. What happens with Christianity, the reason, the logic, that form takes on human form. And that makes for a paideia that also has a role model that is both divine and human that we can shape ourselves against. Within the ancient world of education, the gospel of Jesus Christ came the greatest teacher of them all. Fox Nation sucks, but I went in to watch that one because, you know, Pete Hengseth was assigned to the Rockasson, so, um, you know, he's battle buddy, so I gotta, I gotta give him some love. And uh, it was pretty shocking, because it's from one school that still trains most of our teachers, and it's out of control. The whole thing's out of control. All of it. I had other stories. Um, James Patterson. White writers aren't getting work because they're white. That's probably true. And here's the New York Times. Carlos Lozada. Some New York Times journalists don't even want to engage in certain kinds of stories because they anticipate the reaction that they'll get from writing on, reporting on, a story that tends to be a lightning rod type issue on Twitter. I spoke of it earlier. I bring it up because that's fucking scary. We know they write for the left. And yeah, I got a haircut in between filming. Sorry. <laughs> the wife was doing the dog. She goes, get over here. So I got my hair did. Um, we know they write stuff for the left and they don't write stuff for the left because they don't want to hurt the left. But to literally be thinking about Twitter just totally facilitates my theory that I say all the time on the show. These people live digitally. They don't live in the real world. They don't see what real people see. They don't participate in human contact. They think because of their status in the digital world, they're better than you. They know more than you. And it's why we're in this shit pot. Twitter focused all the antics and the histrionics during the Trump administration because that's where these people live. Now, they're not going to touch stuff because they know. I mean, look how many times in the New York Times, the paper of record has adjusted titles, headings, what have you, 
fired people for letting Tom Cotton do an op-ed on what they very much did after January 6th, deployed National Guard. That was the whole story. Trump doing it evil, Biden doing it when there was no threat, righteous. There was no op-ed on, well, look at us. We thought it was stupid under Trump, but we think it's great under Biden because that's just what we do. It's just what we do. I mean, you can't have a democracy without a free press. So for our lighter fare today, I'm going to play a little snippet of that Jeremy Mayfield. It was very inspiring for me because I'm like really sick and I'm sick of being sick and I can't eat normal food and I'm not dying, but it's just annoying. And I wake up every morning just wanting to die and it takes like two hours and a mile and a half, two mile walk to get the pain to stop in my stomach. But for some reason, this guy's story made me think it could always be worse. I've never talked to Ray about, I've, I've since gotten to know Ray pretty good over the last couple of years and we've done right. some things together and I've gotten, he's a neat guy. Right. I did not know how he was to drive for. I felt like that he came in with a bunch of, he was very excited, thrilled about this opportunity to just start this brand new team and, and be the guy for a manufacturer, which was Dodge. Right. Gets his thing going, wins some races, has some success. And then I feel like that he fell out of love with that. Right. Do you think that he kind of fallen out of love, you know, the idea of being a championship car owner in the Cup Series? I wouldn't say falling out of love, but kind of kind of that. But it, it just seemed like he, um, you know, I, I know that when we first started that deal, like when I first went over there, Ray always had in the back of his mind that he would never be a Penske or, or a Everton, I mean, or a Hendrick. Yeah. Motorsports, you know. What do you I, mean? Well, I, I couldn't get that because I'm sitting there looking at all of our stuff. We had we had the best of everything, you know, two big shops, you know, three at the end. Yeah. Had everything you want, you know, and I never, and he'd always keep in the back of his mind, like, well, but Hendrick's got this, and, you know, Penske's got that, you know. He felt like he was never going to measure up. Right. And that's why I felt like, you know, from what I understood, you know, just, yeah, all the time, you know, and I'm like, I didn't see it that way. I don't think anybody ever seen it that way because we had a good deal going on, you know, but he's always had that, you know, that's just the way Ray is, too. He wants to be the best, but he he's also realizes that what it takes to be the best, you know, to get there. And, you know, Aaron thing and whatever happened on that day, I'm not sure if it had anything to do with it, but. It just seemed like all of a sudden it just went downhill and don't know why, you know, so, understand why, you know. Yeah, help me understand that there were two cars, you and Bill still driving, right? Right. Or yeah. no, Bill is now in a third car. Right. A test car. Yeah, Casey went away and then and then Bill started in that car, you know, went back to that car after Casey Kane came on. Casey Kane, yeah. Casey Kane and you were teammates. Mm-hmm. Bill's showing up running a limited schedule, right? Right. And it's not a full-time. No. They're going to give Casey your team. Right. And you're going to get the 91 test team. Right. I'm, go, I'm going to the Bills deal that he was running. What's you know, happening to much. Casey's guys? That's just um, going to go away? Yeah, they kind of, I don't know if they went away or just. Yeah. But that, but you, you knew know. this test team was a shell of what a cup, you know, legitimate cup contender needed to be. Right. And you were like, this is BS. Right. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And, and you know, because I watched Bill run bad in it. Bill went from winning races in a nine car running great, you know. And I knew it wasn't Bill Elliott. Yeah. You know, he's. he's does a good, good job you know and casey uh didn't struggle but he wasn't you know we were running a little bit better than he was at the time and and gaining on it every who's week, your you know? crew chief well i had a couple kenny francis was, was one of them and yeah. um we had several over there we switch up quite a bit you know move stuff around but 
Um, Kenny was with Bill when he was running good. Kenny came to us when we were running good. Tommy Baldwin came a part of Casey's deal. And then Tommy went away. and Yeah, and then they just switched. They're going to give they're gonna give Kenny to Casey. Right, which was a good combination. They did great together, you know, but it was all of our stuff that on the 19 that we had, you know. Yeah. So then I went to the 91 or whatever number it was at the time and, and um, didn't run good, you know, just bad. run bad, yeah. Real bad. Yeah. Then you make the comments about, you know, I don't, I can't tell right. you what Ray thinks because I don't see him. And all right. that blows up in well, well, and, and one reason why that happened was because when my team went away, okay, they're over here with Casey's deal, you know, and we're in the same shop, but I'm willing to do whatever I got to do to build this team back up or whatever we got to do to make it work, you know. And I just wasn't seeing Ray, you know. Right. Uh, Ray used to be on top of all that stuff, you know. He wouldn't let it happen. Yeah. And uh, if the nine was running bad, he'd be on the nine box. You know, if the 19, he'd be back and forth trying to help both our deals, you yeah. know. And all of a sudden, I'm with the 91. Now I'm sitting over going, man, you know, I ain't getting no help. Yeah, where'd he go, you know? Oh, yeah. And I and I kind of knew what a lot of people were thinking, you know, and I kind of knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. I didn't say nothing, you know, but I knew that if we got new motors coming out and, and I'm running the old ones and, and my new one that I should have got is over here in the ARCA car, you know what I mean? That makes yeah. you mad, That's you know right. what I mean? Oh, yeah. Because Everham uh, Racing was actually fielding that car right. in ARCA, right? Right. So exactly. Aaron was driving a Everham car. Yeah, she was our That's right. developmental driver. That's right. And so she's getting new motors. <laughs> right. You know, and, and getting a lot more attention than what, you know, as far as the team itself. Yeah. You know, they were getting a lot of stuff to make sure she ran good, you know. Yeah. So, so you help me understand what happens. Y'all, you're, you're going to get fired in the middle of the year? Yeah, I, I wasn't planning on it, but here's something else that happened that I was going to tell you the deal. And, sure. and uh, I made a big mistake. Something about a picture. Yeah, I made a huge mistake. And uh, now listen, I know what you're getting. <laughs> I know the story you're getting me to tell, and I want to help you out. So, <laughs> you made this picture of Ray's wife with you. The, the end of the year. Yeah. Right when, when, a, when they're going to give all our stuff to Casey the next year, right? In the so this switch is happening in the off season, right? All right, right. Yes. All right, and we go to the banquet in New York. Yep. And I love Mary to death. You know, Mary was Ray's wife. We're in the limo. She, we got the cameras out. You know, this camera. She's oh, take one of me. You know, I took a picture of her, and uh, she said, "Will you blow that up for me?" And it's just just her, just you her. and her. No, we're all together. We're all we're all together. Who's we're, we're all? Me, Ray, and everybody's around each other. All yeah. of you are in the f- yeah picture. Yeah, no, no, she's just in the picture. We're by so, ourselves. They're all yeah. in the limo. They're all in the limo together. Yeah. And she tells me, hey, take a picture. So I took a picture of her, boom, you know, like that. She said, blow it up for me and and give it to Ray during the Christmas party, which was a couple weeks later. I said, really? She said, yeah. Was so I, was it a good picture? Yeah, great picture. Great you know, picture. Great picture. You took a hell of a hell of picture. Yeah, I took a hell of a picture. <laughs> yeah, I took a hell of a picture. So, so I blew it up and did what she said to do, right? Blew it up. It was about, I don't know, it was probably about that big. And framed it. And framed it. And I thought, man, she's going to be excited. He's going to be excited getting this. Well, I didn't know. What they knew at that time. She knew it, obviously. You know, and, she and, set your ass, set you up. Yeah, you think? I think just to get at him, but to not not set me up personally, but just to, I guess, make something yeah. happen. So, we go to the Christmas party, and she's not there. And it's only a couple weeks ago for that, you know. <laughs> I got my big picture, you know, and, I, and I, we're all talking during a little speech. And I walk up on stage with Ray and say, "Ray, I got something for you." In front of everybody. Oh. In front of everybody. And he owns up his picture of. <laughs> Mary, smiling. Great picture of her, you know? And I thought it was weird she wasn't there anyway. Did he smile? Sort of, but not really. You know, just kind of like, okay. Yeah, awkward. 
and I and I felt awkward after I gave it to him. Why did it not ring? Why did it not dawn on you? Because I didn't know that they weren't together. Yeah, but damn, why would you give him a picture of his wife? (laughs) What the (laughs) hell? That's the weirdest thing to give somebody. Even if she said she owned owned my car at the time, she was the car owner. Oh my gosh, I would have still been like, man, I just don't feel comfortable. I I, I didn't. I really didn't. You know, but but you could ask some questions. (laughs) It seems like to me there's a follow up. Right, right. It seems like to me that you might have been like okay with this if it pissed him off, right? Um. Part of you was like, you know what? If this is what I think it is, oh, so be it. Yeah, because I was kind of pissed too. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, right? yeah, right. You're you're probably right about that a little bit. So I thought, well, but I still didn't know for sure. Right. You know, I thought it was weird why she wouldn't give it to me, but but I wasn't afraid to piss him off either. You know, so I went, hey, here's you know, look at this, you know, and and he acted weird, and and then um, I went to drive for my new team. You know, the the new the team he had for boys. me. Yeah, the ninety one guys, and uh, it didn't work out very good. And then um, I was at Pocono, and, and Aaron came over early in the deal. And he said, you, will you help her around Pocono? You know, sure. She comes with my motorhome. Hey, Aaron, what are you doing? I'll, I said, I'll just tell you. I'll make a lap around her in my head and tell you how to, where I downshift and stuff. And I started telling her. She said, well, really? Going into one of you downshift there? This, that, and I said, yeah. She said, well, Ray said to downshift here way after you got in the corner. You know, I said, well, some people do, you know. But we all kind of knew that they're getting a great guy. I'm not saying anybody. But he would he would be involved in some of our conversations about driving me and Casey and Bill and all of us, you mm-hmm. know. Some stuff you just leave, like like your dad, talking about the setups and all that, you just took it upon, you know, just took it and that's what went on with it. Yeah. And I said, well, Aaron, sometimes you got to, if he says anything, you got to use your own judgment and just, if you feel comfortable shifting in wherever, do it there. You know, she said, what are you saying? That I shouldn't listen to Ray? <laughs> and I said, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, but, but there again, I didn't know what they knew, you know what I mean? So I'm like, well, me and Casey, you know, Bill, we kind of, you kind of take things in. So I shouldn't listen to Ray? Um. Not all the time. I said maybe sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. You just make it on. Hmm. And I seen this look on her face, and I think, but now nah, he's he's a great one to listen to. You know, just <laughs> back it up. Well, I didn't realize it when when at that point in time, what was going on. You know yeah. what I mean? So then, and <laughs> she leaves the motor home, obviously. And when you go back and tell Ray anything like that, oh, you yeah. know, especially if you're real close to him, closer than I knew they were yeah. close. Red Jeremy said, "Not listening to you. You know, you should, I shouldn't listen to you. I, I could imagine that conversation. You know, yeah, so. there's no context that makes that uh, appropriate no. or you know well received. Right, especially if they're closer than I thought they were. You know, yeah. And uh, just knowing Ray, you know, so that happened. The picture happened, and then the media happened. And at that point in time, is I mean, you had pushed a lot of buttons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 put him on the Chicago Tribune, whatever yeah. it was, a full page picture. You know, and <laughs> and." Uh, and I hate it. I really do because I really didn't wasn't intended on none of that. I was just kind of upset at the time and then you know at a certain times not at Aaron, but I knew after the fact when it all went down, I was like, well, that's probably one of the things that pissed him mm-hmm. off really good. You know, I'm sure you like that conversation with Jeremy Mayfield. We all listen to the entire podcast. The whole interview is available on all major podcast platforms. Pretty impressive story. I think I got hit with the shit storm. It wasn't good. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share this podcast with your family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com for any and all video and audio. We'll go for a Sunday show. Hopefully by then I'll be reporting much better health. 
Maybe by then the gas prices will stop. Right? Uh, none of that's going to happen. This show is very depressing sometimes. But I do it kind of a way to get it off my chest. And I hope by listening to a normal person say it in normal speak and spit his chewing tobacco. We're all in this together. It's a shit show. It's probably going to be rough for a couple years. Because they're not going to change. They're going to keep with their ideology. Both parties do it. But the left, their ideology is punish. Punish those that don't think like us. Punish those that don't toe the line. With monetary and policy and with the full backing of the U.S. media conglomerate who gives them the talking points half the time. So it's going to take time, but eventually all bad things come to an end and we get in the right track. And uh, I personally am looking forward to 2024 and hopefully Ron DeSantis runs. And I think that's a good middle ground for those who want Trump and for those who want change like me. You get a DeSantis. He'll stick his finger in the, the man's eye, but he's not an idiot. And he doesn't tweet incessantly. I think Donald Trump running could be one of the worst decisions the right ever made. It's just going to give them more ammo. Go with a fresh face. They hate him, too. It doesn't matter. You can put up Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney will be a Nazi, too. So that's just the way it works. But you just don't feed him so much ammo. So Until then, stay safe, folks. It is going to be hotter than three feet up a bull's ass where I live. Heat cats to 108. We're even bringing the dogs in. The Huskies can't be outside. It's pretty fucking miserable. And go to Daily Wire. Make sure you, sure you watch uh, Terror on the Prairie. I'm going to have that as a review for Sunday's show. Until then, y'all take care. And thanks for listening. Uh-huh.